Welcome to another episode of the 42 to Doomsday podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And as you've just heard, Mark is not with us this episode. Mark is in actual fact overseas with his family. Uh, the last time I heard from him, he's preparing to bear his arse in Wigan. Uh, so we'll just see how that goes. And today, Richard and I will be speaking about Doctor Who games of the non-computer variety. <laughs> So as mentioned at the start of the show, Richard is uh, guest hosting with us today. Hello Richard, how are you? Very good, thanks for having me back on. Yes, and thank you for having me uh, at your place. I hope I uh, <laughs> leave it in a neat and tidy state, so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Now before we get into uh, our chat about Doctor Who games, Richard, you have, uh, you're have notorious for not watching the new series. <laughs> notorious amongst you blokes, perhaps. Yeah. Yes, but uh, you've, uh, you've been regaling us with tales of actually watching the current series, is that right? I have watched all of this series, actually, which surprised me a bit too. But well, it uh, certainly surprised me. <laughs> um, what uh, what's motivated you to watch? Look, I, I do always watch the start of each season, and I, and I have done that even for the stuff I haven't watched. It's usually whether the storylines and what's going on drags me into to, and sort of convinces me to, that I really want to watch more. I found this season actually quite refreshing. Um, I mean, look, we've talked in the past about when I watched the first Capaldi's, and I didn't really get into him and. I noticed Clara was still there at the start of last season, so that, and I didn't really find that Dalek, the Dalek two part, particularly that that good. So I drifted away again quite quickly. But I, I have to say, these have actually been really quite good. I've quite liked Bill. I thought she was a really good introduction as companion. I was a little hesitant when I saw the, as I think we all were, when we saw the trailer, uh, her introductory trailer. Mm. Um, I thought, oh dear. But uh, no, I thought she was really, really good. And it, it is rather sad actually when you think about. If uh, General Louise Coleman had left when she was originally, I think, intending to, we could have had another season of this. Mm. Actually, I think they've been quite good stories. The five standalone ones they did um, have all been mostly enjoyable. Yep. Um, I think Oxygen was probably my favourite out of the five. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'm alone there, I don't think, from some of the stuff I've been uh, hearing you chaps say. Mm-hmm. I'm reserving judgment on the three-parter until I've watched part three, I think, tomorrow morning. Probably wise. Yeah, um, look, I didn't mind the first bit. I thought Extremis had had its moments. I probably wasn't as keen, maybe on last week's. Uh, I think it, it did. It had some really interesting ideas, but I didn't think the execution was that great in places. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so we'll we'll see how we go. Is the is the rest of the season? Is the rest of the season multi part stories as well? Do we uh, know? Not or? really. No, I, I'm going to assume that this sort of is the the big. You know, multi-parter in the middle of the story, but maybe uh, a two-parter to wrap it up. Uh, possibly. I mean, you hear you hear stuff about uh, things uh, from here on in will sort of ramp up in terms of their um, importance. Mm. So we'll just see how that goes. Um, no, I, know, I know there's a slight, <laughs> a slight guarded edge to your tone there, but <laughs> well, it's all edge basically. Yeah, it's all guarded edge. But uh, no, as I said, I've actually quite enjoyed these. And we did, uh, I know we sort of laugh about me not having watched it. This would, if I do get to the end of the season, this would actually be the first full season I've watched since series four. Oh. So that's uh, what the Donna Noble, uh, okay. Catherine, the Catherine Tate season. Um, Which when you think about it, for most of her run, it was, the, the, the stakes weren't massive and she was just an ordinary person travelling. And that's, and that's, I think, probably what I liked about Bill. I, I hope there is no really big revelation about Bill that she's... I'm all the nonsense about she's actually Susan or 
or the Dr. Rivers' daughter or whatever. I, I really actually hope she really is just a normal person who's just having some adventures with the Doctor because I, I really did sort of... I mean, and again, we've talked about this a lot. We, we did sort of suffer a bit with Rose, I think, when, when it sort of became about her you know, unrequited love for the yeah. Doctor. And, and Martha was in a lot of ways more of the same, mm. um, particularly... Initially, she perhaps wasn't, but... Um, which is why I found Catherine Tate quite refreshing because at least she actually wasn't interested in the Doctor. She really just wanted to to travel and adventure. Yeah. And I think, again, we, we've spoken at some length perhaps on the group's thoughts on Clara and her story arc. So Yes, um, very much so. <laughs> yeah, I, I really didn't buy into that at all. So actually just having a new companion that, that's just there for some you know fun and hijinks actually mm. um, is quite refreshing. Now, I have formed a pact with Mark where I don't... We're not going to be expressing our views until the end of the season about what we think of this this the this current series so far. Right. But instead I'll use an analogy for you, uh, Richard. Yes. I look so far at the series thus. I want to go on a drive. I want to go out into the country and just take my car for a drive. And at the beginning I'm a bit hesitant because the weather looks a bit funny, but I go, no bugger it, I'll just try it. So jump in the car, driving along, and the weather clears. And you know, for the most part it's a sunny drive, it's beautiful surroundings. I'm really enjoying myself. The window's down. There's a bit of Rolling Stones on the radio, just tapping it out. It's great. And then I see a person on the side of the road with their thumb out. I think, oh, I don't usually pick up hitchhikers, but I'm feeling great. At the moment, I'm feeling really good. It's fantastic. Okay, pull over. Let him in. Where you going, mate? And, you know, he's he's going somewhere. Okay, okay, all right. So driving along, driving along. Things look pretty good. And then he pulls a knife out and sticks it in my throat. (laughs) That is what I feel about the series thus far. Right, so we're at the tipping point. This could go one or two ways. <laughs> Everything was going so well, and then the last two episodes, yeah. I, I've hated them both. I've, really? Okay. I've really loathed both of them. It's just, anyway, but that's that's for later in the, in the uh, year. Okay. And that's my analogy. Yep. I'm lying dead on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Someone's taken my car away from me. And that's why I bleed out. <laughs> to the tune of Sympathy for the Devil or something like that. <laughs> Alright, well that's our thoughts on the current series. Um, on the other side of this sting, we'll be talking about Doctor Who games. So welcome back. The purpose of today's episode is to talk about Doctor Who games from the 1960s basically to now. We'll be going through it in a sort of a chronological examination. Uh, so Richard, originally, I mean there's, there's obviously some games that were made available in the 60s. Was it basically just other games rebadged with Doctor Who all over them? Yes, to a point. I mean, look, our 60s, if we go right back to the start, 60s Doctor Who merchandise in general has the big first explosion with, with the Dalek Mania period. Of course, yeah. When we're sort of around 65. Um, and that's really when we get there. Really only are two what you would call real games, I guess, during the 60s. There's some other stuff. I mean, when we, when we say games, we're talking about board games, um, probably role-playing games, Miniatures games, which which we'll come into later, card games, as distinct perhaps from toys, mm-hmm. such as jigsaws or activity books, and obviously distinct from the um, the computer games that Mark and I did a month or two back. Yes. Yes. So there, there aren't a lot of games in the 60s, because most of the 60s merchandise is is really confined to that sort of Dalek Mania period. Okay. Well, see, when you get into, to, once the, the Dalek Mania bubble bursts, then you sort of move into Troughton. Troughton really is a bit averse to, to having his image... Uh, stuck all over mm-hmm. objects to art. Um, would he have, in doing that, would he have missed out on money? Do we know whether, you know, uh, artists... Oh, look, there, there, would have been, there would have been a fee. I mean, look, um, there, there is a... I, I think John Pertwee, mm. um, I think, was fairly aware about what he was and wasn't entitled to ask a, a, a nominal fee for. Yeah. I'm just surprised that Troughton, a man who was running two families at once, 
wouldn't have wanted to corner it in a bit. Um, I think his thing seems to have been, I think it was more he was sort of paranoid about being typecast because obviously, and that's that thing, you know, he always move on. He never really stayed with the role too yeah. long. As soon as he hit the three-year mark, it was sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, out. I'm out. And he was, I think, actively even told, was it Peter Davison, I think, don't do not do any more than three years. Mm. I, I guess Davison probably already been maybe typecast <laughs> to a point through all creatures great and small. But True. yeah, so there, there isn't a lot of trout and stuff. But our, our games in the... in. 65, um, there is a, a game, the Dalek Oracle, which is, uh, do you remember the Magic Robot game? Yeah, vaguely. Um, it was a born, it had a question sheet and an answer, a question sheet on one side and the answers on the other side. And okay. you put the robot figure in, you turn it to point to the question you wanted it to ask. A sort of version of spin the bottle? Uh, a little bit. And then you'd put it maybe on the other side and it'd spin round and, and magically point to the answer oh, okay. uh, to the question. So there were history ones and geography ones and science ones and whatever. Okay. Um, it was done with magnets, I think, is, ah, is the okay. trick. So you put the robot on, you turn it around and point yeah. to the question. That sets the magnet on the underside of the board to the right location. And then when you put it on the other half of the board, it spins around on the mirror. So the Dalek was really just the selling point. You could have had any other Yes, you could have had anything there. So that that really is just a sticker badge on it, basically. Um, And I I mean, it's got quite a nice little sort of Dalek model in it, I guess, if you're into into 60s representations of Daleks. It's now worth quite a bit, of course, like a lot of 60s merchandise. You're probably talking upwards of 250 pounds for for a nice copy. Mm. Have you seen? Uh, I have seen the one we're going to talk about in a second. I've never actually seen... I, I mean, I've seen pictures, but I've never actually physically seen the Dalek Oracle, no. Okay. I have seen the game we're about to talk about in a second, which is which is Dodge the Daleks. Right. It's what's called a roll and move game. So it's very much roll the dice, move your counter along the board, and then do uh, whatever instructions are on the space okay. that you land on. Like snakes and ladders, then? Yes. Yes. With, without the snakes and without the ladders. <laughs> 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 but yes, yes. <laughs> exactly the same. Yes, so uh, this this one's a little unusual because it's 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 obviously it, look it's a, it's a very nice artwork board with a sort of a, a path that snakes its way around the board. It's it's actually quite loosely based on Dalek Invasion of Earth. Ah, so, um, so, so the, it's got illustrations from the serial. Um, they're sort of line drawings. Okay, no, the, the, no photos. The, no, 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 no. We're not not at photos because uh, <laughs> photos cost money. But um, no, no photos, and and they're very vague representations of things so you sort of encounter the earth resistance Um, you have to hide from the Daleks miss a turn you have to pass vital information on to Susan, Ian and Barbara Mm -hmm. move forward three spaces Um, that sort of stuff and the whole object is obviously just to get to the end of the be the first one to the end of the board that's quite yeah it's it's, that's now very rare Mm -hmm. Um, it was in a collection I saw being broken up probably a year or two back oh really Um, he had one it wasn't uh, it was complete it wasn't in great condition Mm -hmm. A mint one would we be probably talking in the four hundred plus pound range? I would think for a very nice one. But is, is there? A, I mean, you were mentioning before about you know general r- r- demand for sixties memorabilia. Does this fall into it as well? I mean, is it demand for these sort of things? Yeah, the, the, you tend to find toys. Toys are probably very collectible because they look pretty good when you got a collection. I mean, if, if you are a, a collector. And, and you've got a, a shelf full of books. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can say oh, I have heaps of rare books, but it's probably visually not exciting. massively exciting. Yeah. Whereas if you have toys or you have proper collectible items and things that look pretty good in a cabinet mm. or on a shelf, it's visually more appealing. So, of course, things like having, and we've talked in the past about, say, the show bag. Yep. Um, so if you're a UK collector, they, they go nuts for that sort of thing because mm. there's nothing like that over there. So, of course, saying I have an Australian show bag mm-hmm. that's really, really rare and, you know... Um, would be a very good centrepiece for a collection. Yeah. So having rare games and things like that would also be 
um, okay. the same of, of having. Um, um, I, I, what I ask, as a person who's been heavily into Doctor Who merchandise for many a year, is the ideal way to display this sort of merchandise in cabinets under soft lights, glass cabinets and that sort of thing? Look, I, I tend to the opinion if you've got it, you should display it yep. because I, I don't... I, I do know, and, and the collection I saw broken up and look it was sad because he had some really really good stuff he had props and, and yeah. actual screen news props and stuff as well but a lot of it was just boxed up because he really didn't have anywhere to store it properly yeah. and, I, and I think that probably influenced his his decision to, to sell I think because he had this massive collection it was all just boxed up stuffed in boxes in cupboards and, and you know in a would um, would, um, would it have been advisable for someone like that to perhaps have sold off some pieces and use that to fund display cabinets? Um, would that would that be what you would do? I did wonder whether he would keep some of the props and some of the yeah. really good big items, but he actually said once he'd made the decision to sell, it was just no, nah, it's, yeah. it's been broken up because he had he had some really quite amazing stuff. He had like a full run of the sixties Radio Times. Mm. As I said, he had screen news props. Um, he had this game. Yeah. He had a lot of the six, quite a few, or quite a few of the sixties mm. toys, and, and I think he decided. Now, look, once once he'd sort of broken that collection up, and, yeah, and it, was it was really he wasn't really keen on concentrating on one particular area. Yeah. So, no, nah, once he'd made the decision, that was it. It's all going to go. It's a, it's a pity because I mean, I know I collect books and, and, and mm. things like that, and I know you have uh, you do yourself. It's you know you go through, you spend the better part of thirty or forty years building this thing up, and then you sort of realise, well, if it's in boxes. Yep. Why, why have I got an? I mean, I've got a garage full of books that I can't display in the house. Yep. Um, so that sounds familiar. Yep. Yes, it's you know, and you never and you're never going to be in a position to be able to do that. So, and I've started selling off my books as well, just as a buy the buy. So, not surprisingly, a great wrench as it turns out. It, it is. I I actually because I've had collections and sold things off at various times. I actually find books really, really hard to let go of yeah. um, for some reason. I, I can sort of do it with some of the other more collectible stuff. I actually find books really hard to get let go of because there's always that sort of nagging thing that one day I might want to... Reread it? I, I might need it for something. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, crap, it's gone. Yeah, so I, I don't know quite what it is. It's a psychological thing, clearly. Yeah. But I, I actually I do find books really hard to let go of. I find them hard to let go of because I a lot of the earlier ones, I have distinct... You know, physical memory yep. of where I was, who yes. I was with, uh, and you. If you're, it sometimes feels like if you're selling that book, you're selling those memories, and they're gone forever. It is, and, and I can imagine your friend who sold his collection felt much the same way. I think some of the the stuff he'd had from when he was young that was a real wrench because a lot of it was stuff he collected as an adult. So yeah. it was done acid. I am actively going out and collecting this. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. Probably a lot of the Doctor Who stuff I've got still is is the stuff I had when I was young and still mm. a teenager. That's the stuff I held on to. Yeah, and the stuff I probably picked up as an adult collector is the stuff that I've been happy to let go because I probably don't have quite. You don't probably don't have that that same emotional mm. attachment to it. All right, we've examined the entrails of our lives, so, so <laughs> let's move back. So those two games that you've discussed from the 60s, are they the, the main ones that you're aware of? They're, they're probably, in some ways, they're probably about the only ones. I mean, look, there, there are others. I mean, there's a Dalek Skittle game. Yeah. There's a, what the English call a bagatelle, those little things, those little plastic cases where the little spring-loaded and you fire the ball bearings up and it lands oh, okay. in the targets. Yep. There's a few of those sort of things. As I said, there's activity books, mm-hmm. jigsaw puzzles and stuff. They're, they're probably the two actual games, in, in, in air quotes. And these are the sort of games that kids would have ordinarily played, you know. They, Had they, numerous years and then and then disposed yeah, of. Yeah, clearly think, they've, you know, or they've stored them in their garage like my children said. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So, they're the, just as I was saying, just the sort of games that kids would latch onto for a, a year or two or even, you know, a few weeks. Yeah. Christmas and then yep. just store them away. That's okay. right. 
games as basically games. There's nothing intrinsically Doctor Who about them. Not, not really. And you, you probably don't get the, the intrinsic Doctor Who stuff really until you get into the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I probably, I guess we might talk about this at the end. I, I don't know that there's really a definitive Doctor Who game. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you could say some of the role-playing games perhaps come close. There's a couple of card games I thought were quite good. They're maybe not always because they're Doctor Who card games. They're actually just not bad games. I think certainly out of the board game market, there probably isn't really a definitive Doctor Who board game that yeah. sort of captures it. Because Doctor Who's really hard to capture because, he's, let's face it, he's a non-combative character. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, it, it really has to be a very heavy strategy game. Now, the problem with strategy games is they tend to um, they tend to alienate casual gamers. Yeah. So there, there is always that sort of fine line, I think, between engaging people and that a general a non-hardcore gamer can play it mm. and, and something that a hardcore gamer isn't just go oh, pff, this is rubbish yeah so um, I suppose if you you're right in terms of finding or designing a game that is in, intrinsically Doctor Who that gives you as close an experience as watching the show is I mean other than a role playing game and mm. you you know we'll go through it later but other than a role playing game I can't think of anything else that comes closest but we'll get to that point no so 60s done pretty much I mean really um, we're probably almost done really for the Pertwee era as well to a point I mean there's again the merchandise sort of starts to come back up again under Pertwee once the show starts to take off again and the the fact that the merchandise had died away I think you mentioned that when I was here last is is because under Troughton the show lost a lot of that popularity is that right Um, it it did and he obviously wasn't keen on promoting it as we mentioned a minute ago but it it, it did because that Dalek mania bubble bursts yeah so of course people looking for the next big thing mm-hmm. and and the show probably I mean and as we've discussed as you sort of get into the later 60s the show's probably starting to lose a bit of its popularity I mean there, there are discussions around winding it up when yeah. you sort of get it around 69, 70 there's a well known story Inferno was made as the last potentially as the last story so so the, but the merchandise starts to come back up under Pertwee and you start to get the again you start to get the jigsaws and you get the books and you start to get you know you get the, the making of Doctor Who the first behind the scenes book mm-hmm. it's really when the target books start to launch but you don't probably get any again really any games until really until just around the time Tom Baker takes over Okay. Um, when Dennis Fisher who are the ones who do the Doctor Who the range of Doctor Who action figures yep or dolls if you're uh, if you're a non if you're a non uh, (laughs) if you're a non toy collector are they the people who made uh, the two armed Davros Uh, no that's Dapple Oh, Dapple, sorry. Okay. No, so they did, um, so Dennis Fisher did with their toys, they did, uh, they did uh, the, they did a Tom Baker, or Fourth Doctor, they did Leela, mm. uh, a little later on, they did the giant robot, a Dalek, a Cyberman, um, and a K-9. So they're, they're sort of being made around sort of 75, 76, 77. And there's a similar market with other sort of genre television as well for those sort of figures in the UK? Technically, were designed in the UK, they were produced by, they used uh, Mego. Um, who at the time were probably best known for their range of superhero toys. Um, if you remember, like the world's greatest action figures, there was like, they did pretty much Marvel and DC. Yeah, dimly. dimly. Yeah, and they, they were sort of these fairly cheap plastic figures. They had plastic molded heads and a sort okay. of a cost, and they had a costume like Spider Man had been like a red and blue jumpsuit yep. with a pattern on it. They, they also did like Star Trek figures and they did Happy Days figures and okay. they did, I think there's even a Walton's figure set, if you remember the Walton's. Walton's figure set? Yes, I think. Um, <laughs> Role play your Walton's family game. Yeah. Um, Who's Jim Bob? <laughs> <laughs> so um, they did a lot of those sort of action figures, but they also did a couple of games. I only played one of them, which is The War of the Daleks. Right. Now that's a, is that a board game? It is another board game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the object is there's a um, you, you basically it's a little bit like a, a sort of a almost like a Ludo I think with an added 
a danger element to it. So basically the idea is make your way into the centre of the board okay. to, to destroy the Dalek control centre. Right. Um, dodging the Daleks as you go. And the game has a little mechanism under it. Um, there are these tracks cut into the board yep. and Daleks sit in those. Ah. And there are certain events that you turn the uh, you turn the control in the middle of the board, and it actually makes the, the rotates the piece under the board and it makes the Daleks move. Oh, that's clever! And as the Daleks move, they rotate. And if they, they happen to hit your playing piece as they rotate, you're out, okay. or you have to go back to the start. Is there a as you as the player? Are you just simply someone? Are you playing a role? They're, they're very generic characters. Okay. They, they yeah. I, I suspect having spent the money on the Daleks, maybe they then didn't <laughs> want to have to play for the Doctor as well. Maybe, but. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps, but uh, no. So the, the characters, if you look at the playing pieces, they're just the standard um, little piece of coloured cardboard stuck in a base with a sort of a generic running person on them. Yeah, so the whole idea is you get, move into the centre and if you make it to the centre, you, you can turn. And the idea, obviously, is, is you're trying to stop the other players from doing the same thing. So okay. as, as you land on a square that makes you turn the dial, you yep. probably want to turn it in such a way it knocks one of your opponents out. Now, you've seen this? I have seen it and, and played it. And the... Oh, you've played it. Yes, the I board game it. itself is it comprised of illustrations or photos or a mixture? Uh, no, again, it's it's all illustrations. These ones are mostly artwork because again, you don't have to play as much for artwork. Do we know who the arti- artist or artists I, were? It's probably catalogued somewhere. I don't off the top okay. of my head. No, reasonable quality illustrations. Oh, probably in in keeping with games of that era. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I suppose I'm asking: are the are the images recognisably Doctor Who? Well, see, so it's it's basically it's a Dalek game. There's okay. really it's not actually a Doctor Who game. Per say it's a Dalek game. And did it, does it mention in the bottom corner copyright Terry Nation? Uh, it would do. I <laughs> with, would with pound signs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would probably have the obligatory Daleks created by Terry Nation. Are you aware Disclaimer. of the, the Nation estate? Well, he wasn't dead at that point. Are you aware of Nation in terms of merchandising Daleks? Did he have a particular... Was it just merchandise everything? Was he games or... That's an interesting question. I, I suspect... I'd probably take the opinion he may not have even seen a lot of them I would think it would have gone to the agent and I think as long as it wasn't offensive or um, anything Mm -hmm. because well there was you you would remember that soft porn video from some years ago abducted by Daleks Mm, I didn't repeatedly see it no (laughs) (laughs) well the the nation estate did go after them fair enough and it it then became abducted by Daleks Lloyds, I think it was, or, okay, or, yeah. or something like that. So just a swift name change. Yeah, pretty much, and, and whatever. So there, there was that. So no, I, I would imagine it would have gone through his agent, and I, and I think, as I said, as long as they were prepared to pay the requisite fee and it wasn't something you know outrageously offensive, it was all right. Yeah, it was probably okay. Now you've played War of the Daleks. I have. Where our friend had a copy, or you've got uh, a copy. Again, it was in the same. No, I never had these I must admit when we get into the 80s and the games we're going to talk about in a few minutes are probably when I start to, to, to pick them up no this, this was also in the in the collection I mentioned a few minutes ago mm-hmm. um, we had it and we, we did sort of have it out one night and had a couple of runs through it just to say mildly, at least we, mildly engaging or uh, look I think if I'd have been I'd have been what seven I think when that came six or seven when that game came out so if I'd have been six or seven that probably would have been right so the idea is anyway you get into the middle of the board you dodge the Daleks and there's actually a, a, the Dalek control centre is this blue sort of container thing in the middle of the board. And when you open it, 
there's actually a one in four chance that a Dalek is waiting for you. Oh, sorry, King Dalek, actually. <laughs> and it is actually called King Dalek in the rules. Ah. Uh, King Dalek is waiting for you. <laughs> and and if he is, he exterminates you and you have to go all the way back to the start again. Okay, so there's an el- a random element. There, there. is a random, because as, as the as the centrepiece turns, it, it obviously changes what could be behind the door when you yep. actually get there. So, and is it an image that pops up? Or? Uh, no, what happens is you actually lift the top off the container yeah. and the four sides actually fall down. Ah, okay. And, and if you, yes, if you you happen to be under the one by King Dalek, well, yeah, you're out. You're out. King Dalek. King Dalek. King Dalek the second or so. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that, that wasn't a bad game. Well, again, it was when he was breaking the collection up, so we sort of got him out. We were having a look at a lot of the mm. things in there, and we decided, well, look, we, at least that way we could say we'd played it. Yeah. Um, and we, we did play Dodge the Daleks as well. Okay. I th- we really only did it once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once we sort of joined the resistance and dodged the slither, that, that was really the end of that. That was the end of that one. But um, How much is uh, War of the Daleks going for on online channels today? If you, if you would have wanted a good one, I, I think you'd still probably be paying around 100 I would think for a good one. That's quite yeah. pricey. We, we probably find they get a bit cheaper probably as we come along, yeah, I, right. I think. Um, until then you get up to the current day when, of course, you're just paying retail. So. <laughs> <laughs> or even less if you have a yeah. certain torrent sites. But anyway, yes. The, the other Dennis Fisher game was just called Doctor Who, um, which I, I have to say I've never actually seen all played. I've seen pictures of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it again, it's basically a roll or move yep. thing. You start off on a... There's, there's four planets at different corners of the board and you start off and you basically have to make your way around the board dodging various obstacles and whatever on the way mm-hmm. and you pick up cards at, at every few spaces and yeah, yeah. like the, the game from the 60s it's sort of a riff on Snakes and Ladders these board games are effectively just they're generic board games with Doctor Who slapped the, on them the, they are I mean I guess if you, slapped on them yeah but they are I mean look I guess if you look at a lot of games I mean I remember having I had like the, the Wacky Races game when I was a kid and I had um, a, the Disney Robin Hood one mm. and I, I think they're pretty Similar. It is really get around the board, avoid the obstacles. There might occasionally be some stuff where the other players obviously can trip you up. But yeah, I mean, look, because games, I suppose, at those point really, they really were marketed for kids. Yeah. I mean, there really is nothing in here being marketed for adults at this point. No, I mean, the sort of the role playing industry was beginning to build in the 70s out of, yes. out of um, wargaming. It was, but I think wargaming at that point was really, you know, probably. Bearded men sitting in a, in a yes. locked away in a room somewhere. I, I was I actually in a book I was sitting in a bookshop last week uh, as a buy the buy and I picked up a, a wargaming book from the seventies and there was a photo a black and white photo you opened it up and there's a black and white photo of a professorial looking father pointing at a map with a pointer and his son standing next to him look going what am I doing here why can't I be with my friends that's so awesome. And it was a wargaming thing, and I was um, I actually should have picked it up. It was. I was about to say that wasn't one of the Donald F. Featherston books, was it? Oh. It was an English book. It probably is, because he, he's sort of the father of British wargaming. He might have been, actually. I think, because he, he came into the hobby, because miniature wargaming's been around. I mean, the, the Kriegspiels and that, they used to do yeah. in Prussia back in the, the late 18th, 19th centuries. But yes. it probably really exploded as a hobby after World War II. Mm. Um, and that's when you start getting proper little lead figures. I mean, H.G. Wells published his rules, I think, in about 1910 or thereabouts. That's about right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Little Wars, yes, which I think were marketed for bright young boys and girls who are interested in those sort of things. <laughs> Asterix, not really girls at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah very, very bright, bright, enterprising boys and the sort of girls that are interested in things that boys might be interested in. Really butch girls. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I, I guess you're right. I mean, role-playing really probably in the... the well, I think Chainmail was, what, 74, I think, which was yes. the, the fantasy rules for 
wargaming and D&D really evolved from there. Yep. So we are, and of course we are going to encounter our first role-playing game quite soon. Mm-hmm. Before we jump to there, is there yeah. anything else in the 70s that you want to talk about? Is there the Top Trump games? The Top Trump game, yeah, is is um, it's basically, it's, again, it's an artwork card game and it's an array of different monsters. So there's Autons, there's Zygons, there's Sea Devils, there's... Um, Yeti, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff in there against the Doctor and and his le- um, what is his Legion of Champions or something it's called. And they're they're basically obviously all the uh, public domain uh, heroes like Davy Crockett and, <laughs> and, Rob- and Robin Hood <laughs> and and sort of Jason and the Argonauts and whatever. I think that um, that they clearly don't have to pay a licensing fee for <laughs> the uh, yeah the dollar. Oh yeah, my God. <laughs> and, and it is. It's and, and I think any Oakley, I think's one. <laughs> Jeez, they're plumbing the depths, aren't they? I suppose to, to avoid having to pay anything. You're yeah, right. that's yeah. the thing. They'd be all the public domain figures. Yep. Uh, it's it's probably. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a it's a entirely a top trumps game. I'm surprised they didn't have Jesus Christ. Jesus <laughs> is my superhero. <laughs> but he'd be more powerful than the Doctor, probably. So <laughs> don't say that. The new series fans will start crying. So. <laughs> but uh, it, it's probably best known that the pictures on the Sea Devil and the Ogrons cards are transposed. Oh, okay. And that, that's probably its one yeah, claim to fame. Quality control was looking the other way when I went through Maybe the Maybe they, they passed it through. <laughs> I mean, I guess that there is also, going back to the show bag, that the, um, when they did the Weetabix cards right. uh, in Britain, the second set of the Weetabix cards actually had on the, on the back of the larger boxes, mm-hmm. uh, had a game that you could cut out and oh. play. There were four different ones. Um, one of those actually wound up in the in the Australian showbag. It was the Escape from the Underworld, I think, was the game. Um, and they actually in the Australian showbag, it, it came on a like a cardboard fold out cardboard thing, and it actually yeah. had some little counters and a really cheap, um, really cheap six sided die with it. <laughs> yeah, ch- cheap is the defining uh, thing about oh, showbags, isn't it? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, uh, I will say uh, cheap by contents, but not cheap by price these uh, days. No, well, Doctor Who bag, I think was, I think it was, I was. It wasn't any. It certainly wasn't any more than five. I mean, I had two of them. I got one at the Melbourne show, and sadly, I don't have either. I got one at the Melbourne show, I think, in the late seventies, and one at the Brisbane show in the early eighties. And when we're talking about a show here in Australia, there's a tradition of having horticultural shows every year, yes. where the country comes to the city. So there's uh, an area assigned for you know, well, animal husbandry, you know, fruit and veg, and all that sort of thing. Oh, and they they did you know they did show animals. And remember, they used yeah. to do the wood chopping displays, and they'd have the. Um, I mean, they used to do like entertaining things too. I remember one year they had the, the motorcycle stunt uh, oh, okay. Dale Buggins. Yeah, so it was very much, they were agricultural shows. Um, mm. So in amongst all the, the sort of prize bulls yeah. and you'd go and look at the show dogs and, and whatever, they obviously would have the sideshow element yep. and, and the show bags appeared there. And there were a lot of licensed stuff. I mean, you could pretty much any favourite TV show or anything you could get yes. a, Yeah, the, Do- the Doctor Who show bag, I mean, look, it was stuff that I mean all the show bags really were stuff that probably lasted a couple of weeks at most after you got home mm. and then were either broken or consigned to the bin yes um, I did have the cardboard TARDIS out of it for a few years sitting on top of my bookshelf um, unfortunately it went the way of all things mm. um, but it, it had a um, it was a little it was basically a plastic bag with a Doctor Who logo and stuff printed on it and it had um, it had the cardboard TARDIS which had this sort of outer I think it was actually meant to be a mobile but um, it had this sort of outer scale little cardboard Tom Baker figure uh, that went with it. Um, there was a bottle of invisible ink, um, and most of them now, I think that's evaporated in most of these articles <laughs> you, yeah. you see now. Well, they've drunk it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a there was a badge, uh, and the badge actually was a. Um, do you remember those Tom Baker birthday cards where he's sort of writing "Today you are six on the front of the TARDIS in chalk? 
Okay, yes. Yep. Yes, and the day you are seven. What they had was they had a heap of those left over and they actually just cut the circle out of that around Tom <laughs> Baker's face and stuck it to a <laughs> and stuck it to a plastic back to make the badge. Yes. Uh, there was a lot of them unsold. There was also there was a jigsaw and there was a there was the game and the game was the yeah it was the escape from the underworld uh, game from the from the Weetabix. So they actually okay. went through and had empty boxes which they cut up. I, I'm assuming I'm up. assuming they must have approached whichever licensing company probably nah, looked sense. after it and they they've obviously approached them for a game and mm-hmm. sold them that one and okay. it came with yeah these sort of little cheaper. Do you do you remember your reaction when you saw the Doctor Who bag at the Melbourne show? Can you remember that back Well, that I certainly got it, so yeah. I, must have, uh, I must have been quite excited, I think. Fingers to the mouth. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I do remember uh, going off and on yet another tangent. I, I do remember we used to get, because the paper used to publish the showbag guide. Yeah. And we used to sit there. I do remember with a friend or a sister or whatever, we used to sit there and go through it and work out like, which bags we really wanted. Yeah. And then we'd come out with this massive list and then my mum and dad would say, well, we're only going to give you like 20 bucks, so you, you need to pick what, what, where that $20 goes. Yeah. Which, again, was a reasonable amount of money. And then, you, you know, you probably maybe pry another $5 out of grandma or something before you wait. But, pry or stand over? <laughs> you know, we, you know, turn on the big eyes. We're going to the show next week. And she's like, oh, I must give you, you know, I'll give you a couple of dollars so you can go and buy a show bag. But yeah, and, and I do remember we used to go like the Birdie Beetle one because that was yes. like only a dollar and it had like about $5 worth of chocolate <laughs> yeah. in it. So. I think that's still a staple actually. The yeah, movie. I think so. All right, we've gone right off on a tangent there. Yeah. So can we say that that's the, the 70s um, in terms of games? Um, I, I think so. Richard, we now move into probably what can only be described as the role-playing era of Doctor Who games. Would that be about right during the 80s? It all sort of blossomed? It did. Uh, there is sort of that, that thing, and I think we've mentioned it before, that the merchandise perhaps starts to skew slightly older to an extent, perhaps during the, during the J&T years. We get our first role-playing games. We also start to get the first actual, probably what you could deem collectibles. Yeah. For you know fans who are maybe getting a bit older now, the... the um, and we start to get the first reference books and those sort of things that perhaps okay. little kids won't be interested in. Our first game is actually right on, uh, it's 1980, and it's actually from Games Workshop. The um, yes. progenitors of um, Warhammer? Yes, Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000 and Blood Bowl and all those great games. Well, in the 80s, of course, they, they were a lot uh, much different companies than they are now. And they actually had a lot of other licenses because they did a Judge Dredd game yes. and they did Judge Dredd miniatures. They also did a very good game called Apocalypse, which was sort of a, a nuclear war in Europe. Uh, game, which I must admit I do remember playing quite a bit, uh, probably when I was a little bit older. But uh, no, they, they actually came out with a Doctor Who game, mm-hmm. and this is this is their entrance. It, it feels very much like a variation sort of on the key to time. I, I, I did have this at the time. I think they're even looking for something called the key of Kronos. Okay. So, so. yeah, <laughs> it's not even very subtle. <laughs> yeah, my, my main memory of it is... Uh, it's actually how long it took to set up because there was a, it was a fairly big board. I think it was like an eight by eight board um, and there there are some spaces in the middle where you have to get to at the end but basically on, on each of the the 60 odd spaces that are left you actually had to go through all these counters there's three different types of counters and you had to sort all through them put them all face down mix them all up and put them on each square and and the i, I think it, well it, it didn't take longer to play than it did to set up but i, I do remember yeah that that was quite uh that was quite draining you're sort of almost sick of the thing by the time you've 
time you actually get around to playing it. That's actually a feature of modern uh, board games. If you play something like, um, I think it's Mansions of Madness. Oh, uh, yes. The Arkham... Um, I can't remember what's... There's a lot of Cthulhu games out there that, that appear to take longer to set up than actually play. And are quite complicated, but uh, anyway. Yeah, this, this wasn't even particularly complicated to play. It was... Um, you, you basically had uh, a series of little cameras that gave you uh, random shapes, and they obviously told you what... what um, pieces of the key you needed to find yeah. and as you travelled around the board there were, there were um, companions and, and objects to pick up and there were monsters to fight okay. that might be guarding the pieces of the key and then the idea was obviously to pick up the, the six pieces of the key you needed and then get to So as a board game comparing it to what had come before it was a, a much more complicated affair? I, I think it would be it would try the, certainly try the patience I think of a lot of people okay. in, in terms of setting up and whatever it, it's certainly more advanced than just the straight roll and move yeah. So it's probably not really... It's a game for perhaps slightly older kids than, okay. than the ones that have come before. And again, uh, in terms of illustrations on the board, is it uh, illustrations or yeah, photos? It's, no, it's, it's, it's all... Again, it's, it's, it's artwork. Okay. The game actually comes... It wasn't originally a Doctor Who game. There was a, a chap, a couple of the Games Workshop guys knew. His name was Derek Carver, I think it was. He used to make his own games for his fam- just to play with his family and friends. Some okay. of them were published. But he had a game called Durance Vile, which was... Uh, um, it was actually a fantasy quest game where you had to go around and pick up these jewels and, and fight dragons and fight monsters and whatever. And it, it had a few more mechanics than the Doctor Who one had. And they, when Games Workshop picked up the licence, they were sort of casting around. They didn't really have a game to go with the Doctor Who thing and they suddenly remembered this quest game and can we use it? And then they, uh, someone at Games Workshop adapted it okay. to, to, to fit the Doctor Who mm-hmm. oeuvre. Mm. And, and that's the game you saw. So I don't remember it being a hugely rewarding... Look, it was fun. I don't remember it being a hugely rewarding game. And it sort of got to the point, I think I'd lost a few of the pieces out of it. And I'd been sitting in the cupboard for years. So I actually, um, I actually just sort of gifted it on to someone. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's certainly a bit unusual. Because it really is... It's probably more interesting because it's a time when Games Workshop really did a lot of stuff. Because now they're, they're entirely focused on their own IP. Yeah. Um, they, they really don't, you know, almost even acknowledge the existence of other gaming systems. No. And this is this is a bit of an interesting time when they were a lot more open to, to, to other systems and other genres. Well, you, you can uh, for those who are old enough, if you ever read their their house magazine, White Dwarf. Yes. Up to a certain point, it was very welcoming of other genres. They you know they have book reviews, not other genres, but other games. They have book reviews and, and whatever. And then at some point, the fl- switch was flicked and. Um, that was all gone. It's, yeah, well, I actually took advertising and things for game shops yeah. and, and other games magazines and games, other game companies' games and all sorts of stuff. Yes. But it was a real pity, actually, because it, it, it's... It, look, I understand they have to make money and they've got to, you know, flog their own stuff, but uh, there's an element of the innocence of role-playing that was lost once they just sort of started chasing the dollar really, really hard. And look, we all know that they're doing it today as well. Anyway. But they are. I mean, uh, the, I, mean I, I suppose... They they really were for a time there. They they probably were the one of the world's biggest gaming companies mm. um, there for a time. Well, I, I have their board game Talisman. I remember. Oh yes, uh, yes. I have well. very fond memories. I actually pulled that out um, at the last school holidays and played it with one of my daughters. Oh yeah, and she really enjoyed it. Oh yeah, um, going around. So the school holidays are coming up again. So I've got a few wow, days okay. off. So. And to dig mine out because I've actually still got mine too. But did you have any of the expansions for it? I bought. I think it was about at that point because I bought them when I. Went to university. So that would have been what second edition. Yeah, right? it was second edition. Yeah. I remember seeing advertisements uh, for it in um, um, a game magazine called Warlock, uh, mm-hmm. and being really intrigued. We're right off the track here, but that doesn't matter. At that time in 1990-91, there were at least three other expansions. Yeah. Um, and I've got those. 
but there have been subsequent editions, um, which I'm not. I don't need to buy them because I've got you know the second edition, which is perfectly fine. It is because I've got the because there were two or three extra boards, mm. and then there was the, the there were the ones that that added more cards and no boards. I've got the ones that had the cards. I never wanted yes. the other board ones. No, I got the ones with the, with the extra boards on them. So in theory, I if I can find them amongst yeah. everything else, I, I could I could pull those out. I think it's uh, I think it's the dragon expansion. I think that, yeah. that would fund your superannuation fund. I think <laughs> if you had it, <laughs> the final and, one. And actually, just talking about it, even though it is a board game, and generally speaking, games like Monopoly or you know. Mm. Uh, Cluedo or whatever, Ludo, they don't have anything, they don't do anything for me. No. But I, I like the fantasy genre quite a lot, So, and, and role-playing as well. So it's, I suppose it's similar to Doctor Who. If you're really into Doctor Who, these board games, if they're done well enough, mm. have that sort of immersive quality. That's the fascination for, in them, I think. I, I think so. I mean, look, I, I went through a phase where I was playing a lot of board games. They probably, I do remember when I was part of a gaming club, I do remember playing the, the, the Doctor Who Games Workshop one there a couple of times. Mm. Um, and, and I think again, sort of people be <laughs> a bit drained by the time they they sort of yeah. ready to play. But um, I mean, I used to play a lot of stuff like uh, we used to do a fair few Avalon Hill. Like we did Britannia was one we used to play quite a lot, which was yep. sort of Britain from the Roman invasion through to the Norman invasion. Okay, I used to do that quite a lot. Diplomacy was another one I used to play quite a bit, which yeah. was a sort of a diceless negotiation game. We used to do that. And then there were the, the sort of guys who really liked doing. There was eighteen thirty and eighteen thirty five, which were railway track building. Okay. Ones, but I don't want to go on and list each more. But um, I do remember Talisman coming out a few times there, um, particularly probably later in the day when we were looking for something a bit, probably a bit lighter. No, um, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, it is actually. It was a really good game. You sort of uh, you go there and you sort of play the really heavy strategy one in the yes. afternoon. Yeah. Um, or one or two really heavy strategy ones in the afternoon. Then the sort of in the evening, the lighter games would come yep. out. So yeah, Talisman and that are quite often get busted out at that point. All right, we're, we're well off the track. This is not the. Uh... <laughs> This is not the role-playing game yes, sorry. Uh, podcast. No, 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 that's all right. It's, it's, all, it's all good fun. Now, I remember as a, well, a young teenager in my yes. mid-teens, uh, in my small country town or smallish country town, there was a couple of news agencies and we got lots and lots of books. A lot of the books that I currently own, I've, I got from there. One of them had in its front window a game, a boxed set, the FASA Doctor Who role-playing yes, game. Yes, which actually is our, yes, is our next entry. Yes. Um, and I see that you have... It must be the second edition. Is that right, Richard? Uh, there, there is. There's two. There's actually three editions, technically, but there, there is. This is the second edition, which is the photographic cover, which is the Tom Baker and Leela. And this is from an American company. It's an American yes, role-playing an American, game based American on Doctor game. Who. The first edition has an artwork cover. Yes. Um, the contents are, are broadly similar across the three. The only difference between the first edition and the second edition is the first edition had stats for Colin Baker mm-hmm. and I think Perry in there and, and items referring to them. Now, I believe the story is that uh, they then discovered their licence only took them up to the fifth Doctor because mm-hmm. uh, Colin Baker was had only just, I think, started on screens when this was released. So... Um, I don't know whether it was a case of withdrawing and pulping, but certainly the, the second print run had to have all the Colin Baker references removed, which is this. There was a later edition, which is uh, identical, but the, the covers on the on the individual books are a little different. But yes, I did have this at the time. I do remember buying this from a unnamed genre shop in town <laughs> in, in, the, in the mid-'80s. Now, with role-playing games, I'm assuming most people who are listening to the, to the, the episode know what a role-playing game is where you you know you you take on the persona of a, a different completely different character and you adventure through you know a scenario or a set of scenarios yeah. with doctor who where it's strongly focused on the lead character how does the role-playing game experience avoid the trap of i want to be the doctor and, and everyone actually arguing over it 
Well, the the game, FASA actually, because they'd done a Star Trek game prior to this and it was much the same thing. They were very much, they actually don't play the Doctor. There are Their idea was that there were lots of other uh, celestial intervention agency agents out there mm-hmm. righting the wrongs of the universe. So maybe you should be one of them. And of course, because, you know, you can tell exciting stories of those. And very much with the Star Trek one, it was, well, no, don't, don't play the Enterprise. Everybody knows the Enterprise crew. Make up your own crew. You know, you can have your own adventures in this in the Star Trek universe, but with the crew of, of what, you know, whatever your ship is called. Um, and have these wonderful adventures to create your own whole mythos. Yep. So this game was pitched much the same way. I think they sort of then... Uh, backtracked a bit because when they started releasing the modules uh, the first couple of modules didn't have any stats for the Doctor or any of the companions in them they, they had their own sort of generic ones that you could use mm-hmm. or again you were heavily encouraged to create your own so I guess you maybe you would fight within your group perhaps who was the Time Lord and, and who was maybe the, the not the Time Lord characters <laughs> yep. and, and then I suppose it just really isn't it's up to the, the Game Master I guess to, to then or the, the Dungeon Master whatever you want to call them to pitch the game or run the game in such a way that, that the non-Doctor characters aren't marginalised. Mm-hmm. So it is. It, it probably does rely, it's a game that does rely on having a pretty good Dungeon Master or yes. pretty good Game Master. I think because there's a lot of... You, you can say with, say, Dungeons & Dragons, you can play that, particularly if you play a lot of the, the pre-printed modules, you can play that at a fairly mechanical level, like you kick open the next door, kill whatever's in the room. Yes and take the stuff and just basically hack and slash your way through the... Whereas this this really is more around narrative and storytelling and, and, and actually uncovering what's going on. But um, I, I do own all of it. There was um, there are three books in the base set. Um, so there's basically a player's handbook, a, a game master's handbook, and then a sort of a... So, so analogous with D&D, we had the player's handbook, the, the dungeon master's yeah. handbook, and then there was sort of a reference book. So they're, they're the core rules for the game? Yes, they're, they're the core rules. Um, they give everything from character generation to how to run. There's equipment you can find, people you might encounter, monsters and things, stats for monsters and things you might encounter on your travels. Um, some basic rundown of some of the, the, the doctors and their companions. And a lot of stuff. The, the Game Masters one is, is around obviously running the game, but there's a fair bit of stuff in there also around around how to tell a compelling narrative yeah. and how to keep the game moving and how to you know give the characters nudges in the right yeah. direction. If so that's, that's actually standard boilerplate for any role-playing pretty, pretty game. Much. I mean, it's the experience, I think, that uh, they're trying to impart on the players. Get the game moving along. Don't bunker down and hide from the threat. Actually go out and engage <laughs> it. And and you're effectively, as a, you know, the, the games master, I think that's the, the name of choice these days, yeah. is engaging in an ongoing narrative. Which um, is different from a board game where you're just simply playing something. Yes, or, or a strategy game where you've actually got a clearly defined yeah. goal. At the this other is more an intellectual exercise. It, isn't it? it is. It, it is. And, and, a, and a dramatic exercise as well because you're asked to take on a persona. I mean, I've played role playing games where people are just playing an extension of themselves. And I've heard of role playing games where people actually just they, they construct. Uh, it's like an acting performance. Yeah. Uh, famously, if anyone's actually played the Dragonlance games, uh, the, char- oh, yes. the character of Raceland, who was the mage, yes. um, the games when they were playtesting him, uh, one of the players was a, a male, and he took on the persona. The persona that is in the books, if you've ever read the Dragonlance books, where Raceland whispers, um, he's very sickly, yeah. that is the persona of the playtester. Yeah, well, I think those novels, because there's a, quite a lot of stuff, I think, in those novels came yeah, directly out of their playtesting. Mm. And some of, the, some of the actual things that the characters do in the book are actually stuff that, they, that, that came out of their own gaming sessions. So while some, a lot of fantasy books that attempt to be Dungeons & Dragons modules written down fail, the Dragon's Lance books, by and large, especially the first three, really work really well. 
Yes, well, I do. Yes, I do remember. I spent a lot of wasted hours reading the Dragonlance uh, Dragonlance series, and I, I do remember. I do remember playing. I remember when the D and D source book came out uh, for Kryn. Yeah. Um, I do remember that because um, I think it was a little disparaging because I think people were expecting these sort of high because Kryn Kryn is quite a and then we're going off yet another tangent, but Kryn is quite a low level. Uh, campaign world. Uh, most of the characters in there at the start of the books, I, I think, are um, I think are only about second or third level. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, that's D and D speak. But uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry for all you non D and Ders. But uh, yeah, they're only about second or third level. And, and I think that that character Humor, who was the knight who tried to you know was the uh, tried to stop the apocalypse, mm. um, he's only about eighth or ninth level. Oh really? Yeah, but he was because there's I think they're actually level capped at seventeen or eighteen or something. Yeah. I think Raceland because of his unique place in the world, he is I think about level twenty or something. He eventually yeah. becomes a god, doesn't he? Basically, that's, yeah. that's his attempt. Yes, he yeah. attempts to become a god, and and, and about level eighteen, that that's really when you are approaching godhood, and he's about level twenty or twenty one. Mm. Compared to say something like say the world uh, Gary Gygax's World of Greyhawk, yes, um, which is a very high level, yes, um, and if you remember the books, did you ever read Gord the Rogue? Yes, yeah, Gord the Rogue. Yeah. He, he's about tenth level by the end of the first book, yes. I think. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Gary was a power gamer more than anything else. <laughs> Now, just to drag it back to Doctor Who... Yeah, no sorry, fast, yeah, no, sorry. No, 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 sorry. That's, yeah, no that's fast. One day, one day. Well, one day we should actually do it, yeah. Our experiences in gaming podcasts, but yeah. With, with watching Doctor Who, it is a largely a passive exercise. Is the appeal of a Doctor Who role-playing game, in, in a sense, you can play the Doctor, you can play a companion, you can play a character facing the Daleks, the Cybermen, going to Gallifrey. Is that really what the appeal I, is? I think, I think that is the appeal. That, that, you know, you get these really interesting scenarios mm. and you would have to work through it as, as, as the Doctor would. Yes. Or as or one of the companions would. So, so something like FASA, is it, does it take on the ethos of the show where it's a sort of a non-violent solution perhaps... Or it's it's not you know guns blazing going in. Or can it be? Is it both? It, it can be both. There are combats. There, there are combats in there. Yeah. And there are a couple of the adventures. We'll, we'll put the adventures out quickly in a sec. A couple of the adventures are well. Here's here's you're at the final showdown. Yep. You can do if if the characters sort of move in this direction, we'll play it this way. If yep. they decide they're just going to go in and beat the crap out of whatever's <laughs> waiting for them at yep. the other end, yep. then you would probably try and resolve it this way. Okay. But no, it, it is more around trying to find a, an intellectual. Solution. Solution. Hmm. Tell us about the the, the modules because you've got. I think you've got all of them. Is that? I, right? I, I do have a full set of this. Yeah, a full, full set of the release stuff. There, there is actually still a reasonably active community. Uh, I think online mm-hmm. for this because there are quite a few unpublished modules. Yeah. Uh, I think at the end because Fassa sort of the license came up and I, I think it was a case that the sales had sort of started to dwindle because we got into sort of the period around the, the hiatus and, and immediately after. Um, I think some of the PBS stations in America had, had stopped, had stopped dro- had started dropping it. So you, you sort of get to a point perhaps where it's probably not selling so that we're not going to bother. They, they did also get into a spot of bother with the BBC over some of the content because uh-huh. uh, they did some supplements for it before we get into quickly into the modules. Um, they did three. There was a Dalek one, uh, a Master one, um, and a Cyberman one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was is obviously... And they were done as sort of two books. There was a book you could give to the players, and the players would. So this is what the players probably would know about the Daleks. And then there is the, the Dungeon Masters book, 
which is more around how to play them effectively okay. in the game. So the handout for the players is their CIA special reports. Uh, it is, yeah, for the okay. Cybermen. Yeah, that's right. And then there's the... There's one for the Daleks there, a yeah, symposium. That's right. That's the one you give. And then there's the CIA file extracts for the okay. Master. Right. Um, the Master one, I think, is the one that got them into a bit of trouble because it, it totally rewrites his history. Um, the Master of the Meddling Monk. Um, are, are the same person yep. and I think there's even a hint he's the warlord in there as well I think so and then there's a whole thing where he has this secret base in between universes where he has this uh, private army of Ogrons um, <laughs> things doing his bidding okay. um, and stuff so uh, I think the BBC sort of you know recoiled a little bit when they saw that uh, and there was one on the, 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 there was apparently ones on Gallifrey and I think the Sontarans I think were the two that were in progress when mm. the when that licence dropped so these uh, looking at the copyright these are from 85 did yeah. the licence sort of drop away fairly quickly after that um, I think they were licensed for three years I think it was one of those mm. sort of three year things and I okay. think one of the time they got to about 87 I think really the, the, the sort of the interest in the game had dropped um, the BBC allegedly weren't happy with the Gallifrey one and sent they sort of because they had to go to the BBC obviously for approval okay. yeah. and the BBC just sent this back and like what the hell is this I think <laughs> Um, no, just no. Okay. Um, I think so. That that required a fair bit of reworking, and then as I said, I think they'd lost interest in the license at that point. And so, you were going to talk about the modules briefly. Um, I will talk about the modules briefly. There were seven published modules. The guys who maintain the internet community, I think, have published, have, have finished, or, or work with the creators. I think to finish some of the unpublished ones and put them up there as, as story ideas. And there's, there's quite a few of those. There's there's seven. They range sort of in. Um, there's one called the Lords of Destiny, which is quite. A, it's it's basically a, a spaceship, a world spaceship, mm-hmm. and they don't know obviously that they're on a spaceship. Okay. The two best ones are, are probably the two. I mean, they have Tom Baker on the cover. There's there's one called Countdown, uh, which is a Cyberman adventure, mm-hmm. um, and that's just sort of trapped in a gravity bubble. Yep. Um, and you have to escape from that. Plus you've got the Cybermen. Plus you've got this other group of, of sort of space pirates. Okay. Bearing down on you as well, and you've you've only got I think it's six hours or something game time to actually resolve the situation before you all die, <laughs> and various things happen. There's one I know we were looking at a few minutes ago that the called the Hartlewick Horror, mm. which is fairly uh, Cthulhu based. Okay. Um, cosmic it, horror. It, it is. There's sort of this the, the the great the big band hidden under an English village, mm-hmm. and it uh, he's he is waking up and kidnapping. Uh, kidnapping villagers to power his mental uh, mental force machine okay. to, to reanimate himself. Um, and that that's really, yeah. There's a couple others too. There's a there's one with the Silurians called the City of Gold. Mm-hmm. And there's one set in the Roman times with uh, the Legions of Death. But uh, So reading through them and playing them, do they do they try to stick to sort of Doctor Who, what the, the sort of the feel of Doctor Who? Or? Yes, I mean, they're, they're, again, because the, the, they're not really... I mean, if you look at a, at a Dungeons and Dragons module, which is very laid out, here's your map. Yep. This is where you need to go. This is what you'll encounter at each phase on the map. These are more done as a loose narrative. So this is the situation as it unfolds. There's a lot of notes in there for the for the GM on how to run it. So you would have probably 15 minutes after the player arrives, X happens, and you set this up. And then depending on how the players react to that, you can then a few minutes later introduce this. Yeah. And and you just sort of keep nudging the narrative. Broad in, in the broad direction you want it to take, but yep. obviously you're letting the characters make the decisions. Mm. So you've played them. I've played a couple of them. I've played Countdown and I've played the Hardwick Horror. Have you GM'd them? I haven't GM'd them. Okay. I, no, I, I've never GM'd them. You probably need a quite good GM for these, mm-hmm. but um, I think, and you probably need someone who's invested a lot of time into rereading them. Yeah. Um, I would think beforehand. What but, are your recollections of playing the two that you did? 
I don't think we finished either of them, to be honest. It probably didn't hurt. I actually owned the books. Yeah. and um, So when we did play them, I had a broad idea probably of how the, the narrative was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Look, they were quite good games. I mean, look, role-playing, I guess, if you take it as that sort of storytelling, really creating the character and creating the group, you really, if you've got a really good group who's into that sort of stuff, yeah. I think that would enhance your experience a lot. Yes. The group I played with without wanting to be disparaging, because I was probably just as bad. I mean, look, we did, we, we'd sort of come through d and I, I actually started role-playing with a game called Traveller, which was a space... Oh, yeah. space yes. yes, which was a space game. I've actually got most of that out in the shed too, but um, <laughs> I, I came in through that, which actually I think now would, would uh, lend itself... I, I actually think you could run a really good Firefly-type narrative yeah. um, in the Traveller universe, I, I think, because it, it really would lend itself to something like Firefly quite well. So we sort of done a lot of the hack-and-slash D&D-type stuff, which probably didn't really translate perhaps into, into the Doctor Who yeah. narratives. But I remember them being quite fun. I, 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 don't, I don't have any bad memories of playing yeah. them. I don't, think we, I don't think we finished either of them. I think we sort of did a session or two on each one. I don't think we'd finished them. So yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the illustrations are, are lovely... Um, they, they seem to be well designed, well packaged. Yeah, and it's interesting as you say that there's, a, there's still an online community. I suppose if people just Google Doctor Who role playing game Fasa, it'll come. Yeah, up. it will come up, and you'll find the you'll find the group. There's a lot of interviews. They, they, they did about twenty some odd, twenty odd issues of a of a PDF magazine. Oh, really? The, yeah, that they were sending around. There's stuff in there about you know unpublished games. There's interviews with people in the. I mean, they, they probably did other stuff too. Like they touched on Time Lord. They touch on on the, the role playing game. We're going to get to a little later. Okay the cubicle seven one but um there's interviews with with people who worked on the games and that sort of stuff in there as well so and uh, these uh, just before we move away are these readily available through your usual um marketplaces yes you might have to hunt for some of the modules mm-hmm. i think but uh yeah it, it it shouldn't be too difficult to find if you wanted to track down a okay. set now uh nothing else to say about fasa well, I think we've spent what probably the best part of fifteen minutes on it, so okay. <laughs> what might be time to move on, perhaps. So then look let's let's move on to the rest of the eighties. Now looking at your list here, Richard, you've got the, the, the FASA game books. Oh yes, actually we probably should touch on those. There were um I mean you, you would remember in the eighties where that was when sort of choose your own adventure. Yes. Um and then the slightly better ones which were the finding fantasy yes. type books. I I have I went on a I was a maniac for those and I've got basically everything that was ever published wow. from the UK in terms of those solo role-playing fantasy game books. So you've got a lot of... You've also got the, the Joe Dave ones as I've well, got them you? all. Yes. I've got them all. Wow. I've got, them, I've got well over 300. Anyway, that's by the by. Wow. I, I, I that's, did. that's impressive because I had I had a lot of the... I, 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 don't remember, I don't really remember collecting the Joe D ones, but I did have quite a few of the, the Livingston and Steve yeah. Jackson ones. Fighting Fantasy, uh, yep. the, the Lone Wolf books... The uh, the Skyfall books, uh, anything by J H Brennan, the Grail Quest and the Demon Spawn books, um, you know the two Doctor Who uh, solo role playing game books, you name it, I've got, Jeez, I've got almost yes. a full run of the choose. I was just there was it was funny. There was a me and a boy, uh, another boy in my class, uh, we were competitive. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing was, we all lived in the same small town and we all had access to the same bookshop. So there, there was <laughs> I'm not quite sure why we were competitive because we were buying exactly the same thing anyway. But um, yeah, I. I um, so, so did it become my parents have been down to Melbourne on the weekend and look what they got me. <laughs> there was one instance where he did he did get some uh, some of the Joe Dever books earlier, and those Joe Dever books, if anyone, we're really into the weeds now. But that's fine. I'll keep this in. When they stopped publishing them in the mid nineties, there were only twenty eight, right. and the last seven because the, the print runs were quite smaller, they're quite expensive to get. We're talking in the early part of this century. You could spend upwards of four hundred dollars on uh, one of the books wow. and I know that for a fact because 
even though I had a complete run, I knew that you could buy and sell them on eBay. And I picked up a book at one of at Target, and I sold one for two hundred bucks on eBay in the late nineties. And anyway, a friend of mine knew what I was doing this, yeah. and um, he said to me that a friend of his had been to a secondhand bookshop in a, a country town that we'd all lived in in the eighties, in the mm-hmm. and they had copies of these last few on display at the front. So. Uh, Shepparton is only two hours from here so I, I rang them up or, or faxed them I said look I'm actually after all these other titles what do you have and they came back to me that same day at work and they emailed me back well, we've got 40 in a box at the back um, do you want them and you know I started shaking <laughs> I started shaking sweat just broke out of my forehead how quickly can I get out of work and get in the car well luckily I was very good friends with my team leader and I said look I just need a half day off on Friday can I drive up because it was two hours up and two hours back I got there they were four ninety nine each Bought them all. Yep. Bought them all. And the reason I know that you could sell four hundred a, a book for 400 <laughs> is I sold two of them on eBay for 400 yeah. each. And they helped fund an overseas trip. And so. I was about to say, what the rest of just stashed away for your, no, reti- no. your retirement plan. I, 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 ended up, I ended up... This is a word to uh, uh, inexperienced eBay sellers. I flooded the market. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end, I was, in air quotes, only getting $50. Oh. Uh, sad isn't it so well funny you do find that a bit with ebay because the really rare thing comes up and it goes for like several hundred dollars mm. and of course everyone who's got one suddenly thinks oh shit, i'll get mine out and of course you just watch the price yeah. over the coming yeah. remember when the, the people were selling dapol stuff yeah because when dapol went out but there was this um when they stopped producing their toys there was this mad scramble to pick up all the sets and everything yeah and some of the some of the early sets were going for like 300 pounds mm. And the first one would go for like 300, 350 pounds. And then, of course, everyone who had one in the cover was just like, that right, that's, yeah. that, that's my signal. <laughs> <laughs> and then in they come, they'd, you know, they'd and then the people the there, yeah. only getting about 80 pounds <laughs> by the end of it. <laughs> well, well off the path there. Yeah, so tell are. us about these faster, um, um, these, these game books anyway. Yes, very, very quickly. There, there were two of them, and the license allowed them to do, I think the license allowed them to do other stuff. They weren't allowed to do, it was a bit, it was a bit nitpicky. They weren't allowed to do technically choose-your-own-adventure books because yeah. BBC had a range of them coming, which we'll talk about in a minute. But these were really thick books. They were 350, 400 pages. Mm. Um, and they were actually like the, the fighting fantasy books we've just been talking about because they did require some record-keeping. You had dice and you had to... Um, they had a little mechanism where you could flip the page yes. to, to generate a random number. They required dice and they did require some record-keeping. I, I do remember them being quite good books. I, I, I had them, and unfortunately, I, I now I can't find them now. I think I must have either got rid of them or given them away or something. Yeah, I, I do remember them being quite good. The the, the second one was a little strange because it was a sixth doctor. It was a fourth doctor and a sixth doctor one. There, there was the Rebels Gambit, uh, and then there was the Vortex Crystal. The the sixth doctor one, it was actually they were both written as Tom Baker and Sarah Jane and Harry books, ah. but. The artist got his bakers confused and drew this very nice artwork picture of Colin Baker and, and Nicola Bryan. And apparently it was, rather than pay the artist to go back and redo the picture, they actually just went through and ended the text. Ah, okay. So the fourth Doctor becomes the sixth Doctor. They change a few of his mannerisms. Sarah becomes Perry. Yeah. And, and they're just travelling with Harry Sullivan this week. Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, I remember buying those and um, I've, I've not played them, but... Um... Yeah, they looked interesting. Oh, I was going to ask, if you've got over 300 of them, have you actually played... Uh, most of them, yes. Wow, when that's, I was, that's impressive. Well, when I was a teenager, and had plenty of time on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of time. 
Actually, because it's the political season in the in the UK, there there is there was one written by a number of people who work for um, 2000 AD where you play oh, yeah. Ma- you play Margaret Thatcher. Really, and it's, it's great um, wow. great illustrations through it. I mean, there were magazines like the Warlock magazine. There was Dice Man, which was done by 2000 AD, which Judge Dredd took him out of the the uh, took him out of the something or other. I mean, lots and lots of characters yeah. slain or slorn. I think as you oh yes it. yes uh, the Proteus magazines, which are solo role playing game game books. Yeah. Is, you know, if it was available to buy, wow. I bought it. I bought it. I mean, it, it even got down to ridiculous things like the Sonic the Hedgehog game books. It's <laughs> <laughs> just crazy talk. But anyway, all so, right. So did yes. you did you have the, the lighter stuff like the Choose Your Own Adventure books as well? Yeah, did, yeah. You, did you? The first one I ever bought was a Choose Your Own Adventure, The Cave of Time, which is book one. Oh, yeah. I did that in about '82, I think, when they yeah. started coming out. And yeah, there was a there was actually a genre shop up in my hometown of Mildura for maybe. a Less than a year, and they had they had you know Doctor Who stuff. They had, the first time I actually ever saw a Doctor Who magazine was in that shop. Yeah, really. Uh, game books, fantasy, science fiction, and uh, the Choose Your Own Adventure stuff. And I, I mean, I, I bought up to about eighty or ninety. Wow. Uh, and then yeah, about fifteen years ago, I went on a mad nostalgia trip and sort of basically filled up the holes through eBay. You know, buying oh, job okay. books and whatever. So. So I, I do remember them because um, the next thing we I did have here to talk about there, there was a, a, a short Doctor Who. Yes. Series. They're the ones with K9? K9's in one of them because okay. there's um there are six. The first two actually were published here in Australia with the ABC's imprint on them, but they obviously didn't sell because the other four, you could get them here, but they, they weren't published. Specialist bookshops. Yeah, I do remember the school library had at least one or two of them because um, there, there was one that was written, uh, Pip and Jane, uh, I think, did one, and William Ems. Uh, oh, yes. Yes, did, did one of them. The mysterious Mr. M's. Yes, they... Uh, They're no good. No, I was about to say, well, the couple, the couple I do remember playing, I do remember one, and it was the one with K-9 in it, where your Sarah Jane's great, 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 great grandson or something, and she leaves you K-9 in a box. And then shortly after you activate K-9, Drax turns up. Um, and it was Search for the Doctor. It's, it's, um, ah, yep. Yes, yeah, Dra- Drax turns up in this sort of time-travelling Cadillac or something, and, and you... Yeah, very, very strange. You're off on adventures. Yeah. Okay. Um, the 80s was a strange time. Let's, <laughs> let's just face this. Uh, and are they the Make Your Own Adventure series? They are, yeah. Okay. Yes, right. probably because they're not allowed to call them Choose Your Own Adventure. No, so no. they <laughs> call them something vaguely similar. That was an interesting, that was an interesting one. And before we close out the 80s, there's something called Battle for the Universe. Yeah, now I have to be honest and say for, for a game that's quite common and, and, and turned up in a lot of collections. Mm. Um, I remember people selling collections and stuff over the years. I've actually never played it. Is, um, is it just a straight up board game? Yeah, it, it is. Um, you have to it's, it's sort of a, it's not really a combat game, but you, you have to play as um, you basically are the Doctor, the Master Davros and the Cyber Leader, I think and you, you have a team of uh, three or four people with you and then you have to put together a, a, a kick-ass team from the other monsters um, and then you, you sort of slug it out. I think to be the last one standing. I, I as I said, I don't. Uh, I think it came out late eighties. Probably would have been. I, I did have a couple of years there. Where I really wasn't that interested in Doctor Who. And I, mm-hmm. I think it probably that that's why I think that came out during that time. I do remember it. And as I said, it's a game we encountered a lot later on when you sort of got people selling off their collections. Yep. It, it seemed to be one of the staple <laughs> items that were in there. But uh, for a lot of people. But yeah, I, I don't really have strong memories of that one at all. Okay. Did you? No, I've, no. I may have heard of it, but certainly or seen an ad for it, but. No, never. no. So, so if there's anyone out there still still listening, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we haven't got too niche for you. And and you do remember playing this? Write in and let us know your thoughts because uh, 
or indeed for any of the other games as well, but particularly this one, because as I said, no, I have no memory of this one at all, sadly. Yes, and the email account and all the social media stuff is at the end of the podcast. So if you make it that far. If you make it that far. No, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. All right, so let's now move into the 1990s. Yes. So we now move into the 1990s, the wasteland of Doctor Who uh, <laughs> fans. But not necessarily a wasteland in terms of games, Richard. Um, what are the sort of the key moments in the 90s in terms of Doctor Who games? Well, we, we've talked about, I think we touched on Time Lord a little earlier. We did. Uh, which was Virgin's uh, entry into the role-playing game. Yeah, it's um, it's Time Lord. It has a rather um, rather brooding, I think, picture of Sylvester McCoy on the on the front cover. Colin Howard is the illustrator, I think. Yes. Uh, that's right. Yeah, there's a lot of internal illustrations through there as well, the Doctor and Companions and various monsters. It's, it's a single book. Uh, and it's it's very heavily again on storytelling and narrative, um, and creating a creating a really good environment for for storytelling. Um, there's not really a lot. Of, I mean, there's some, obviously some basic rules about how the skills and that work and how to create your characters, and how combat and things work. But it, it is very much a, a, a story and atmosphere type game. Mm-hmm. So um, I haven't actually, I don't actually ever remember playing it. I've certainly read it several times, yeah. but. Um, it was quite a it was quite a good book. I don't know how much of a um, I don't know how much of an impact it made. I don't. There's uh, there's no supporting material for it commercially released, is there? They're not commercially released. I think there's a couple of there there was a couple of production notes because they've actually made this available as a PDF. Now I think the the producers okay. um, have made it available as a PDF, and there there was some supplemental material. I think that that whether it was a, a sort of an unreleased second volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, or something I'm not sure but yeah there, there, there is some extra stuff you, additional things you can find online for it okay um, I think uh, I, I think, look it's certainly quite a commonly put together book it released in 91 I think uh, 1991 that'd yep. be about right yeah okay yeah, yeah I, think... no, I, I remember picking it up one day and uh, and I, I, I've never played it but I certainly enjoyed it for the read I, I don't think that I had too many books in the way of reference material and that sort of provided me mm. with a uh, you know some of that sort of um, that that, that uh, information. Yeah, and so here in Australia, this, this would have been special shop only. Um, I think this this came out of. Uh... Uh, no, I picked mine up at a commercial uh, chain store. Oh, did you? I think uh, from memory, it might have been an Angus and Robertson or something like that. Oh wow! Okay, because yeah. mine, mine came out of uh, yeah the uh, Great Emporium Minotaur. So <laughs> yeah, no, definitely um, from a normal bookstore. Okay. Yeah, for me. Well, there you go. All right. So I'll move on from there. I mean, look, we, we we've also then got. Uh, obviously, and we talked about this at, at, at some length in the uh, video games cast. Of course, the, the next great release is the pinball, yep. um, which which kept uh, many a person entertained or many young fan entertained, I think, for a bit. And short of money. Yes, yes, I have a lot of fun with that. But uh, the ne- the next big one, you you would remember having worked in a genre shop. Yes. Uh, the the collectible card games. Yes. Uh, exploded sort of early to mid. 90s. Yes, many many a store was kept open by Magic the Gathering, I think. So yes, um, and of course that immediately spun off. There was a Star Trek one, there was a Star Wars one, pretty much any popular thing. There was a Highlander one, which was quite good. That was oh, a right, yes. card combat game. I think there was even a Monty Python and the Holy Grail one. Really? Yeah, I think it was fairly short lived, but uh, yeah, there, there was that because it went through a real explosion. Then you get into the later 90s, and the bottom really just falls out of the card market. Um, and that happened with trading cards really as well yeah. um, and there, there is a story one day where we might tell the story of Cornerstone Communications on here with the Doctor Who trading card <laughs> people but yeah now there was it and, and in the midst of all that there, there was a Doctor Who one yes 
let, let's just say it wasn't very good. Okay. Um, is it the question of the mechanics didn't really make lend it to good gameplay? No, it's it's a card combat game. Mm-hmm. I suspect it was a started life as something else, and it's just had a Doctor Who slap on uh, it. logo slapped on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very strange. You sort of have past, present, future, but there's no structure to it. So you can actually have. I think the off-quoted example was you can defend Unit HQ with a Dalek and his caveman buddy, okay. uh, and the caveman's armed with a rocket launcher. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think so. Um, it plays very fast and loose then. Ah, uh, very much so, and it really was. I think a very quick cash grab. There's about 300 cards in the set, and yeah, I do actually have a set of the cards. Full set? Yes, I do have all 300-odd cards. There were three ultra-rares, which were very difficult to come by. Um, interestingly enough, look, I, I do remember playing it. We, we played it a bit around the club. Yeah. We went through a period there where we were playing it a bit. Um, interestingly enough, actually, the best of the Doctors probably is Colin ah. uh, in terms of game effect. He, he provides a bit of additional support. Mm. Uh, Tom, Tom Baker is the ultra-rare, but I think actually the best, uh, the best Doctor out of them is probably Colin. We did play that a bit. I, there is also a story. I think they probably paid for the Doctor Who license, but I don't know they paid for too much else. Uh, I, I do remember some of the companions, particularly coming out here in the, the late 90s and early 2000s and being presented with their, their images on these game cards and being asked to sign them. <laughs> um, and and I, I remember particularly Elizabeth Sladen sort of saying, what, what are these? I don't know these. <laughs> Neither does <laughs> um, my agent. <laughs> yes, I don't know anything about these. So so somebody uh, gave them the, the company's contact details. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, 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 possible that that's maybe why they disappeared. But no, essentially it wasn't a particularly good game. And so in the end, was it more of just in terms of your interest, was it collecting all 300 and sort of playing it? Definitely. I, I think it was a case... We were playing it a bit. Look, it had some interesting mechanics and there were some, some Doctor Who stuff in there. Like, there were... It, it had the standard thing. You, you would set up a, a force at... It was played in the past, present, or future. Yeah. So you would set up your force in the past, present, or future and you have an opposing force there. There's interrupt cards and there's resource cards that, that modify, obviously, the outcome of the combat. Yeah. Um, there's interrupt cards to, to pause and that sort of stuff. So... There is some interesting mechanics in it, but it's just really not a... It's just not a Doctor Who game, really. Yeah, um, and, I, and I think once the initial sort of buzz around it had faded, I think the game itself faded quite quickly. Yeah. Do you know if it's sort of still being played? I suppose it probably is. Oh, I don't doubt that. There, probably, there, was a, there was an online community for it for a little while um, who I think actually went as far as writing a, a, a revised set of rules okay. that perhaps made it a little more palatable. I know there were tournaments... For Magic the Gathering, uh, where you could be world crowned world champion. Yes. Was there something similar for this? Oh, do you know? No. This, oh. this, 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 this. <laughs> no, no, no. This, I think, uh, this, I think, was done. I think very much by a licensing company. Yeah. And I think it was very much get it out, take the cash, and and disappear. Yeah. And the only reason I finished the set was because I found a bit of a magpie that I was. I, I at the time because we, we used to bring a lot of merchandise in, and I found a place in the states that was chucking it out, and I picked up a case. And that's a case of boosters, I think, for something like 10 or 15 US dollars. Yeah. And then I think another 20 odd to have them sent out surface. So, of course, I had I had literally thousands of cards. Because <laughs> we brought in, we had actually brought in, I mean, it was available here in the specialty shops, but we had actually brought in uh, some of it for the club to sell through the club. So we were there for a long time actually swimming in cards. And, and when we ran the, the convention we ran in the late 90s, um, we actually had like two shoe boxes full of them and we were just dumping them in the con bag, like just whole handfuls of them in the con bags to get rid of them. Yep. So 
<laughs> they obviously go for pennies now. Yeah, look, there is still, a, I think there is still a bit of a value maybe in some of the rarer ones. There was one given away as a promo um, through Scry magazine. Oh, yes, I remember Scry. Yeah, which I, I think still has a bit of a value attached to it. And the three ultra rares, I think if you, if you were somebody, if you find the other one fan out there who wants to complete their <laughs> it set. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think. Yeah, so so that was the CCG. That, that came and went, I think, fairly quickly. Okay. But uh, no, they're, they're really the only other one in the '90s. There was um, there was actually a Doctor Who miniatures game, and and interestingly enough, really the first Doctor Who miniatures game. We're talking lead miniatures. We're talking lead lead as in wargaming miniatures. Okay. Backtracking a bit, there was a range of metal miniatures, metal wargame miniatures, sort of to accompany the role playing game. Mm. Um, I think so. You could you know pick out when you had a map where your characters were on the map and where they were and the, whatever. Plus, of course, people obviously wanted to collect these nice little representations of their favourite Doctor Who characters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, the first time there was actually a proper Doctor Who miniatures game. It came from a, a mob called Harlequin, and the game was called Invasion Earth. And the game, I think, came and went fairly quickly. Uh, so it wasn't particularly involved. And there was actually, uh, the thing was, you could have bought the box set and it had some Daleks and some unit troops in it, but there was no Doctor figure <laughs> in the box set. So yeah. uh, the game went fairly quickly, but the, the miniatures ran for a long time. They went for several years. Really? Range, yeah. There was a lot, uh, over well over a hundred figures in the range by the time they finished. How, how? Give us a sense of the size of the figures. Um, they're in sort of what I think is called God's own scale of about twenty-eight to thirty mil. So, okay. so standard, um, standard, probably skirmish war game miniature scale. Uh, 20, Twenty-eight mil is, I mean, it, it would be roughly comparison scale to some of the games workshop stuff, but yep. the sculpting and sizing and everything is a lot different. Okay. Uh, between them, because Games Workshop have their own in-house style, yeah. uh, which which is what they call heroic scale. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, whereas true twenty-eight mil miniatures are much smaller and, and, and slender, and, and okay. uh, yeah. So, have you got any examples yourself? Uh, I have quite a lot of them. Okay. Um, is the design quite nice? That they are. They attention would... to detail. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, look, they are. They're quite. Um, they're quite nice little figures. Um, I mean, they did. They did well. I did obviously. Well, they did all the big ones. They did the doctors. They did most of the companions. Um, they did really all the common monsters. Yeah. Um, they did some of the, the more esoteric stuff. I mean, like they did one of the last figures they did was was Napoleon from the Reign of Terror and uh, Ooh, yeah, okay. and and uh, Gunfighter I think from um, from the Gunfighters. But uh, look at the look at the pistol from Gunfighters. But they're quite nice figures. They're, there's a couple of different sculptors in the range, so sometimes you do find some of the figures maybe don't quite. Work. Look, yeah. look as good next to each other um, because they're, they're very clearly done by different sculptors and did there's you, no... Did you paint them? Uh, I did paint some of them. I would be honest and say I'm not a fantastic painter but no. um, I, I did go through and paint some of them. I do know people who painted the whole range have got shells full of painted miniatures because that, that's their main interest, I guess. Yeah. They don't have lead poisoning at all. <laughs> no, well, actually, the lead, lead sort of Britain, I think, being lead, I think think in the late 70s or early 80s mm. um, in America you could still lose use it uh, time after that and when they did the the, um, the Fusser range of figures the, the range of figures for the Fusser role playing game were actually done by Games Workshop because ah, okay. uh, again at the time they were still making um, they had a like, again they had a, a horror license they had a Doctor Who license they had a Judge Dredd license mm. and they were making all these different ranges of figures and they were sculpted by Citadel and then uh, Fusser licensed them to produce for the role playing game the British ones are made of pewter or yep. a pewter mix. The American ones have a very high lead content <laughs> and actually now get lead rot because there is actually a phenomenon called lead rot, which is a, a, an oxidisation process ah. that actually slowly destroys lead figures if they're not looked after properly. 
Oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Um, so the American ones are quite often, if you see some of the fussy ones here, they, they actually have signs of lead rot on them. <laughs> okay. They all look like Davros post explanation. <laughs> okay. So uh, you said the game mechanics weren't too flash, but the miniatures were quite po- well, popular-ish. Yeah, the game, look, it was, it was a fairly generic uh, combat game. Again, it didn't really have a lot of flavour that yeah. made it... Doctor Who. Doctor Who. I mean, other than the fact that you were using Doctor Who, recognisable Doctor Who characters. Again, it's hard to do Doctor Who as a miniatures game because yeah. a straight combat miniatures game because, let's face it, these are non-combative characters. Yeah. So yeah. I think a lot of the, the Doctor Who, the Doctor-based scenarios quite quickly became unit trying to buy him time to build whatever it was, <laughs> just go around the board and scavenge the parts yeah. he needed around the board to, to build whatever. The, so there was a board for Invasion Earth? There was a... Landscape? There wasn't actually a board. I mean, you, you would traditionally play a war game like that on a terrain table yes. and, and obviously you would make that yourself like you'd get a grass roll out grass map and then you'd put a couple of grass hills on it or whatever and you'd lay out or you'd have cardboard scenery or whatever yes. and, and I guess look if you really want to go into scenery making there are some people out there who make some absolutely amazing gaming scenery people who you know prepared to put the time and effort into it yeah. um, I remember you remember a game called Space Hawk Yes. Yeah, which was uh, Games Workshop sort of almost their alien type game, I guess, yeah. really. It was sort of creeping around finding aliens in these sort of monolithic spaceship wrecks. Yeah. Um, and I, I played, I remember going to a gaming con and playing on this absolutely incredible board. It was huge, but I don't know how it got, and they got it in there. <laughs> um, and it, it was like, obviously, it would have been, this would have been early 90s, and they would have spent several hundred dollars on this board. It was yeah. a massive board, and it was beautifully, it was all painted, it was laid out, it had was all pipes and um, pipes and metal lattice work and framework yeah. and heaps of stuff to hide and pop out of and also it was really really well done but um, again we're digressing so yes the miniatures game the miniatures were really good the game probably wasn't as good and the miniatures became really collectible in their own right uh, and again there's well over a hundred of them and you've got I've, I haven't got no I don't have a full set I've got a pretty fair run of them uh, I've got the box up in the garage unfortunately wasn't mm-hmm. I'd have had some out for today but uh, they're, they're quite nice little figures mostly okay so that's the 90s. It is pretty much, I think. So let's move into the 21st century. Yes. Uh, now, according to your list, Richard, there's nothing between, well, the beginning of the century and when the series returns. Is that right? Pretty much. It is sort of, I think, like 90s. I think there's sort of that post-telly movie pre-return of the mm. series era that, that was pretty dead, yeah. I, I think, really, in terms of a lot of merchandise. There were toys, and there were, as I said, there was that miniatures game. And that, that's really when Daypol exit the market and Product Enterprises do their range of Dalek toys. Okay, yep. But they also lose their license because, of course, in about two thousand and three, um, the BBC recalled a lot of the licenses as they're clearing the decks for the for the new series. So, of course, the new series hits, and of course, one of the things is because it picks up this whole new youthful audience. Mm. Of course, we're now back into doing a lot of games for kids, um, and there is a lot of games that come out in in the sort of period, particularly again when we get into that massive upswing under David Tennant. Um, there is an Eccleston era game. Um, it's the Doctor Who interactive board game. I think uh-huh. it was called. Now, just before we yeah. go on, we have a problem here in terms of we're now well and truly into the internet age, so the idea of a game on a table 
seems increasingly anachronistic. Not that the people who make Monopoly think so, but um, <laughs> as the money rolls in. Is there, a, before we actually get into all of everything for the 21st century, is there a place still for board games? Oh, I think so. In fact, board games probably in some ways are, are big now, so they've been. I mean, look, you, you sort of have the ones... I think they tend now to market them very much as, you know, either games for kids or games for families. Yeah. You know, because we're all time poor and, you know, families don't spend enough time together these days or whatever. So The you cure have... for being time poor is to turn the internet off. <laughs> turn the internet and Netflix off. Yes, exactly. So because I think there's that thing, so they're, they're done very much as family games or, or you know, simple games that, the, you know, kids and families can play together. There is still, there is a very, very big market at the other end of the scale like for, for, you know, sort of the young and attached men who have plenty of time on their hands to play strategy <laughs> games. Um, or the older gamer, of course. But let, let, let's just say the older gamer being nice. But um, yeah, so there, there, is a, there, is, there is a bit of a spectrum there. A lot of the, the ones that come out really during the, the, particularly the early years of the, the series coming back are obviously aimed more at the family market. The Eccleston one, probably the thing that makes... The, the thing with a lot of these games is they're very cheap. Okay. Them. They've, they've really got a gimmick attached to them to, to, to try and hook you, but the games themselves are very cheap and the, the gameplay is fairly g- generic. Um, the Eccleston one is... It's really you just have to collect... The, the different coloured objects around them. You've got sort of a, a monster and you have to collect all of the four examples of that monster oh, okay. around the book. So pretty basic. It is, but the thing with it is is there's a little electronic TARDIS in the game. Ah. And when you push on it, it says things. Now, unfortunately, it's not Christopher Eccleston's voice. It's actually somebody else. There's no samples or anything in there. And and depending on which square you land on, you push the button and the TARDIS will, will say one of the things about 12 or 13 phrases. And depending on what it says... That's, that's what you then have a game action that you have to do. Like it might be pick up an extra card, move forward, X spaces, give away two of your cards, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it is actually a very nice little TARDIS model in its own right. So um, I think a lot of people perhaps who had it yeah. um, probably turfed the game and just kept the little... <laughs> once the game had outlived its novelty, yeah. um, kept the little TARDIS, I think, on their desk. <laughs> Such is the way. What else can you say about uh, the first decade? The first decade, there's... As we said, there's a lot of fairly generic games. There's a big David Tennant one. There's a um, there's a couple of trivia games. There's Doctor Who and the the Dalek Spinomatic game. Oh dear. Yes, we get sort of into the the David Tennant era, and of course, as we said a minute ago, there is that big upswing in popularity. So of course, we get a few more games. Again, they're quite generic. There's one uh, called the um, there's one called the Dalek Spinomatic game. Mm. Uh, which is essentially a, a, a Doctor Who version of. Um, do you remember the game Trouble? You had to, you push. There was a plastic thing in the center with a little clicker in it. You push oh, the yes. dice to jump around. The dice to jump around to give you your, your dice number. Yeah. It's it's basically a Doctor Who version of that, and you have to move your way around the board and into the center. There's a the the novelty probably the gimmick with that one is there's a Dalek that moves on a track. Ah. Uh, interior. Obviously, if you encounter the Dalek, you you lose a life and go back to the start. Um, but that, that again, it's it's quite a generic game. There is also another David Tennant one, which is the the time traveling action game. Oh, that sounds exciting. Is um, it? Yeah, look, it, it's electronic. It has a, a TARDIS thing in it that makes noises, and the board actually has a small rotating piece on it okay. uh, that moves at random to, to maybe make the, the your path a little easier or, or a little harder. Yeah. But uh, again, the gameplay is really quite generic. Yeah. Um, they're, they're really quick games with a gimmick to people go, oh, that's a bit different. Obviously, and shell out the money. Yeah. But you know, I, I don't think any of those really would, would have a long term, uh, probably have long term appeal. Yeah. One, one thing that did actually appear at this point, of course, we, we probably should mention Battles in Time. Okay. 
which was the the sort of collectible top trumps game, um, and it is really just a top trumps game. So there, there are literally, I, I think over a th- I think there's certainly several hundred, and I think maybe even over a thousand cards released across various sets and. and periods of time that's amazing yeah um, you would buy them because they started out they, they did a they gave the first few packs away I think in the was it Doctor Who Adventures whatever the magazine oh, yeah, for young, Adventures, yes. yeah, for, for younger kids mm-hmm. they gave um, some some packs away and then you could obviously go to the news agent if you lived in Britain and, and buy more and, and of course different cards had different values and there were rare cards and not so yeah. rare cards I remember the internet going crazy there was a rose um, at the end of season one where she becomes Bad Wolf Rose um, and absorbs all the power of the universe or whatever it was. Yeah, there was a, a, there was a gold foil version of that, mm. that that was changing hands for, for like hundreds of, uh, like a hundred pounds or, mm. or more. Um, and then I, I, I think they might have actually re-released the card which invalidated <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, but the, there was a very, very active trading market mm. for those. And I, I think there's still a lot of places selling them now. But it was essentially a top trumps game. So you, you would comp- pick a stat, compare it to your opponent. There are obviously cards that would modify the stat yeah. and you could play interrupt cards or something to break okay. the combat. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing there was just the sheer quantity of cards that they released because there were numerous sets and a couple of re-revisions and that. I do know a collector who was assiduously trying to put all the cards together. Yeah. I, I don't know whether he ever succeeded, but... Uh, you keep on saying he. There are no women doing this, yeah, are there? Uh, I, I don't... No, I don't know there are... Well, g- gaming... Interestingly enough, g- gaming probably is a male... It would be a male-dominated or, or male-oriented hobby, yeah. I, I think. Most of the... There certainly are female gamers out there, mm. but the majority, the vast majority of gamers <laughs> I've encountered over the years, yeah. uh, would would be would be young men. Did you chase? Men. Did you chase uh, these uh, these cards down the rabbit hole? Or no, 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 no. I, I do remember having them, and I, I did briefly look at them because I mean, I had, I, I did have a few of them because my son was was probably at the stage where he was starting to play really simple games yeah. at, at the time they were out. But um, no, I, I don't. No, I don't remember those. There was actually a Torchwood one uh, that came out. Um, it was the uh, same sort of basic idea. It was it was done as a sort of Torchwood trading card game, mm-hmm. but I think it was essentially a, a, a Top Trumps type mechanic as well. Okay. I, I think it came and went very quickly. <laughs> a bit like Torchwood. Yeah, I, I think... I, I, the sense I'm getting, Richard, is that these games are, you know, quick knockoffs to exploit the the, um, the IP, as they say. Very, very, very much, okay. I, I think. Is that the same when we move uh, past 2010? To an extent, yes. I mean, the, the, what characterises them is, as I said, they've got fairly simple gameplay. The components in them are generally quite cheap. So mm-hmm. if you have little counters, they're made on very, very thin cardboard. There's cards in them, they're on very thin stock. Yep. Uh, whereas if you obviously are paying for a bookshelf, bookshelf game made for an older gamer, quality becomes all important in terms of component because, you know, can this game suffer years of abuse without, <laughs> um, without getting damaged? So, yeah, look, they, they are probably owned. And then the Matt Smith ones are much the same. Um, you sort of get these more... There, there's one, uh, one I played called the, um, the Time Wars Family Board Game Mm-hmm. Which had a, and again the, the the hook for it or the interesting gimmick in it is it's basically a, a hard cardboard foldout board, but there's yeah. a, a flipping piece in the middle of it that, yeah. that flips from side to side depending on what happens in the game, and that may make your path around the game easier or harder. Mm-hmm. It, it can unfortunately I think have the effect sometimes it can actually trap you for several turns, but. Okay. Um, 
the, the problem with it is the flipping piece is extremely thin and flimsy. It mm. doesn't lie flat. Um, so it just, it just reeks of cheap, like just cheapness, yep. really. And, and the fact that they've obviously just done this as quickly and as cheaply as they can to, mm-hmm. to get it out the door, which is sad because I, I do think with a bit of, you know, a bit of thought, you probably could, particularly now you've, you've got the, we're in an age where you can add an electronic component quite easily. It, it is probably, you know, some of these are really, it, it's sad that some of these really are done so cheaply. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, there are other ones too, like there's a DVD trivia game. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Doctor Who version of Seen It, which is like the, the movie clip game. Okay. Um, we, we are now actually really in the age also where you start to get Doctor Who versions of other games, like there's Doctor Who Monopoly. Uh, yes. uh, there's two of them. There's a one and then there's a 50th anniversary one they did. Um, there's Doctor Who Cluedo, yeah. uh, or Clue if you're American. Yep. There's Doctor Who Yahtzee. There's Doctor Who uh, Uno, or Uno. So it's just a, badge, a badging effort, isn't it? Pretty really much. There's even Doctor Who Operation. You remember that? Do you remember, you remember Operation? Yeah, we had that. Yep. yeah there's, it's a Dalek. Um, oh. And you have to like lift pieces out of the Dalek and the Dalek <laughs> screams you will be exterminated <laughs> or something if you, if you touch the sides. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. With a lot of beer, that could be a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, look, that, that maybe. So there's a lot of those. What, what, one thing that does come out actually that period though is um, there's another role-playing game. Ah, is that... Uh... Which, is, uh, which is Cubicle 7's. Uh, one uh, yes. now that's been around for a few years because I think it's undergone a name change. I think it was called something like Adventures in Time and Space initially, and I think it's now just Doctor Who, the role playing game. Okay, and they've, I've seen that in stores. There's a there's a big um, role playing shop here in Melbourne, uh, Mind Games. Yes, and there's shelves groaning with handbooks from yeah, Critical Seven. There is so. a lot of source material yeah. for it. I, I think it's I've not played it I've read a couple of the books mm. look it certainly seems like a really well put together yep. game and as I said the, the guys who make it clearly really love the source material because there's been a fair bit of time and effort put into the books yep. I think you can buy them as PDFs as well you know that they are really there is a lot of source material for it. there's a handbook for each of the doctors yes. or most of the doctors there's the, the, the unit one about defending the earth there's ones on the monsters there's, there's game modules Yes, I've, I've read um, the first Doctor Handbook, mm. which is largely written by a games designer, an Irish games designer called Gareth Ryder Hanrahan, who's Irish, so the material mm. will be f- f- familiar to him. Actually, if you've ever heard him interviewed, his, his accent is so thick, I don't know why they interview him. <laughs> um, but So it's sort of like the Eddie Waring of the yes. Doctor. Yes. <laughs> just into goodies reference. But, but those books, I mean, looking at it, he takes the time to... I mean, the first Doctor Handbook looks at each of the adventures yeah. and looks for the plot hooks that you can gamify mm. and also the way that you can expand the story out into a sort of a gaming universe. And it, it, it's... Well, A, it's very well written. He's a very experienced game designer. But it's also an engaging read as well. Mm. Mm. Um, they are. As I said, the, the read I've had of them, they are... They are look like extremely well put together books yeah. um, and look the fact that they're still producing modules for what we're now eight years I think mm. after the game was first launched clearly shows that, that there's a market for yeah. it and I mean D- D20 it uses a D20 system which is now really generic uh, I think and I don't think there's really any licensing or anything attached to it mm. um, I think D20 is now just accepted as a yeah. generic the sense that I got from reading that book was you could play the Doctor you could mm. play the Companions so there's a they have at least seen some value in making it less a generic role-playing game with sort of characters who are sort of peripheral to mm. really honing in and saying, well, look, if you can agree to do it, he's the Doctor or she's mm. the Doctor and these are the companions and this is how we play the game. So, Yeah, I don't have much more to say about that. As no. I said, I'd be interested. There's, well, Cubicle 7 have uh, done a couple other games as well. They did a Doctor Who card game um, a couple of years ago and I think they've done a classic Doctor version of it okay. now. I think, which was a, a sort of a, 
not really a combat game, but um, you you have to defend uh, you have to defend the locations from the opponent's monsters, mm-hmm. and they have to defend from your monsters, and it uses a card sharing dynamic. And it's more about probably shafting the other players, basically, yeah. because at the end of every turn, you have to have three cards in your hand and you have to give them to the player on your right. Right. Um, so, of course, it becomes about what do I want to play? What do I actually want to achieve here? But I also don't want to give really good cards to the guy next to me. Mm. So I really have to sort of really control what's in my hand. Um, so you're sort of constantly looking to shaft the, <laughs> uh, shaft, shaft the people around you. So... Um, I have played that a couple of times. That that was quite a good game. I don't own it, but um, I, I have played it a couple of times. That, that seemed like quite a good game. Now, before we wrap it up, you've got a couple here that you've highlighted uh, from 2017, in actual fact. Time yes. of the Daleks and Exterminate from yes. War of Games. Yes, well, we're, we're still very much, uh, even now, and I know we've sort of talked about ratings and declining interest in the series and that sort of stuff, I, I think it's still very much an active licence. And there was a... Uh, Cubicle 7 just quickly did a, a game called Time Clash, uh, last year, which I, I haven't seen, I have heard and read good things about, and it is a game I, I have looked at a couple of times to purchase um, when I'm a bit more cashed up. But um, yeah, there's two games. There's one has just finally come out, which is another miniatures game, mm-hmm. which is called uh, it's actually Exterminate, and it's by a company called Warlord Games. Um, they've sort of this one I think has been in maybe, maybe not development hell, but it's been. Uh, it's been bogged down in a lot because the problem with Doctor Who is you need approvals on absolutely everything. So yeah. you have to you have to get the actors' approval. Does it does it fit the ethos of the show, etc. Um, and apparently they they've said because there's a whole miniatures range to go with it, and and it's sort of been very drip feed. And the, the consistent thing actually they've look it, we we've got this huge range of stuff planned, but we just can't get approval for any of it. Mm. You know you might wait six months for for the actress to sign off on it, yep. um, or whoever actor actress whoever to sign off on it. But they have finally released their game, the, the core game, which is a thing called, uh, which is a thing called Exterminate, and it's basically Daleks versus Cybermen. Oh, okay. um, it's got some reasonably good reviews. I think it's sort of a, a miniature game, board game sort of hybrid a little bit. Yeah. So you actually have a board that you play on. Not a, it's not like a free foaming board game terrain, where you actually yeah. make your own terrain. This actually has a static board. I think it's double sided, but. There are various effects, game effects that you can pick up, and there are interrupt cards you can play to change the outcomes of combat and that sort of stuff. Um, and it's very much, I think, the Daleks really want to sit back and shoot, whereas the Cybermen really want to close in and get into melee yep. as quickly as they can. And you can recruit um, the other miniatures in the game come in, like you can recruit the Zygons or oh. whatever to, to fight alongside you as allies, yep. um, which to change the game up a bit. So as you say, it's more a skirmish game. It, it is. It, it looks interesting. Again, I have looked at it just to, to see. I talked about because they were offering specials when it was first released, mm. and I did look at buying it just to see what it was like. The, the problem is I'm not overly struck on a lot of the miniatures, so um, I was a bit 50-50 about those when I started seeing them, so I don't really know whether it's one I'll get into or not. But uh, no, the last one, and it hasn't come out yet, it's from a company called Gale Force 9, which is called Time of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. It looks quite interesting. It's got, again, it's an extended board game. Mm-hmm. It's got a, looks like it's got a fair bit of strategy behind it. And it's actually got miniatures for each of the 12 Doctors. And I think it is a case, I, I'm hoping some of the stuff I've read indicates they actually have different abilities in, in game terms. So I'm hoping that is the case and that because that, that would make it quite interesting. Um, and I think you can, you have to, re- it's, it's a cooperative game yep. um, as opposed to a straight opposing 
you're trying to defeat your opponents. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a co-op game, or it has a co-op element to it. So I am actually hoping that, yeah, if the Doctors had different um, different attributes, that, that actually could be quite interesting. Give it a sort of, be able to individualise it more. A little bit, I think. But uh, then I suppose if you find one's really, really good in game terms, then there becomes a fight over who's going to be John Pertwee. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. <laughs> Whatever. Bring your own John Pertwee, I think. So. Yeah, so that that's kind of... One, one thing I did quickly want to touch on before we wrap it up, because I realise we've been talking for a long time now, is there's also a very, very large number of fan-produced games that you can... They're, they're sort of either print and play or you can buy the basic part of it from the designer. Mm. And and there's lots of... There's some quite cool ones. There's a couple of very good card games. I'll, I'll put a shout-out to the unofficial Doctor Who collectible card game. Yep. It's a bit of a mouthful, but um, that, that was quite a fun game. The 12 Doctors card game, that one's, that one's well worth checking out, actually, 12 Doctors card game. And there are actually... You can, through ArtsCow, which is a print-on-demand... Uh, service you can actually have these very nice professional looking printed cards made up i've actually got a set of them here which is now reaching into a repurposed uh tardis video tin yes yes that i'll try a time or tin that's that's sort of that's the hartnell card but that's um that's sort of a that's quite a professional looking card and this is the game this is the game element isn't it yes this is one of the game that's one of the game i mean looking at it it's no it's there's no difference in the quality to anything else that's come out before no no, I was quite impressed with those when I got them. The, the other one I mentioned, that the unofficial Doctor Who card game, is actually more what they call print and play. Right. So you actually have to make your own cards. Um, the way I found to do that was actually put them on the stickers um, and then stick them onto, and I do still have some of that other CCG game there. Yeah. So what I did... Oh, I'll just talk about that. That's a TARDIS card. Just quickly, this is very exciting radio, I know. But it's actually a printed sticker. Well, you printed it, you've stuck it over yeah. the top. <laughs> That's quite clever. Yeah, of an existing Doctor Who. Well, you had plenty of those. Yes, I did have plenty of them. Left, so box set, so. They're, they're both quite interesting games. There's also, for role players, there's quite a... Um, again, I've downloaded the books and read them, and they look quite good. I haven't actually sat and played it. There is a Doctor Who solitaire storytelling game, Ooh. which is sort of a... a it's a fan-produced RPG. And again, it's it's they set up the scenario, and they set up... It's a bit like a sort of a fighting fantasy version in some ways. Yeah. But you have different scenarios, and really, in that, it really then becomes down to your enjoyment. Obviously, is limited to your own imagination. Yes. Um, if you really want to get into it and you know conjure up, sit there with the eyes closed, and, you know, sort of conjure up all these imagery in your head, you probably <laughs> have a really good time with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so there, there are some sort of quite good fan ones to check out as well. If you if you really are interested in Doctor Who games, in some ways, they're probably some of the better ones. Okay, I might get Richard to send me some links and uh, I'll stick that as in the uh, so-called show notes mm. so people can have a look at it. So mm. just to wrap up then, Richard, having listened to all that and, and looked through your list, the vast majority of Doctor Who games are cash grabs that just get them out there and um, and just make, make a quick buck. I, I think over the journey, yes, probably. It, it's probably, it's, it's interestingly enough, it's probably in the eras where the show isn't on or probably isn't as popular yes. where, where you actually start to get the ones that are real labours of love. Yes, no, that makes sense because, um, as you say, people want to make, people want to enjoy Doctor Who, and if it's not on, you end up making your own version of it, don't mm. you? Okay, and then of course the, the, the I mean, for, for me and I, I would imagine for you, it's the role playing games that offer the most interest out of all these sort of games, isn't it? I, I think for me, I, I think in terms of gameplay, yes, I must admit, have always quite been attracted to the miniatures games probably because I am a collector of the miniatures and it would be more for collecting the miniatures as opposed to um, playing as opposed to playing I mean again there are some generic Doctor Who war games uh, out there published by different gaming clubs and different designers and you know when Harlequin's miniatures came along 
they just very happily took the Harlequin miniatures and kept playing their own game. So I, I think so. I, I mean, I, I am, I have been a, a board gamer over the years, but um, I, I must admit none of the board games I've encountered thus far really grabbed me. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping maybe Time of the Daleks might be because that, that looks quite an interesting game just looking at it. Okay. All right. So, very good. So I guess if, if you out there, in, again, if you're still listening, uh, <laughs> if you've played any of these or you want to comment, I'd actually be quite interested to hear what other people have to say about them. Yep. So, I mean, if people would like to email us at uh, 42 to doomsday at gmail.com or even reach us at Facebook and, and send a, a posting there, um, happy to forward uh, all that on to Richard uh, and I'm sure he'll be happy to engage with you at some level uh, in the future about it. So unless you've got anything else to say, Richard, we'll now move on to our tweets. I think so. I mean, look, we could probably talk a lot more in, in depth about these, but I think that's... Uh, how, how long have we been recording uh, just, now? Uh, just a touch over two hours. Yeah, so. I think that's enough. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll now move on to our uh, tweets. Yes. Mark tweeted a couple of weeks ago a question to our loyal listeners. What Doctor Who stories would you show to new potential fans... Uh, as an introduction not necessarily the best but as an introduction to the series now we had a number of um, responses Jed Sweeney basically said the Baker Hinchcliffe era uh, this thread is now closed so clearly (laughs) clearly a fan of seasons uh, 12, 13 and 14 I I must admit actually on that that, that's the year I came into the series and look watching those absolutely cemented me as a fan yeah it's possible that there are fans out there who came uh, in series 24 and, uh, you know, we're similarly struck and decided to stay well, I guess probably one of the other things, probably just on that, growing up here in Australia, of course, and the ABC's incessant Tom Baker <laughs> run, um, if you watch the show between about 1976 and about 1990, yeah. you were guaranteed to see Tom Baker and indeed season 12 to 14 at some point. Exactly. So, so Richard, um, I think we'll go from the top. This is going to end up being a, a list of episodes or stories. But we'll just see which ones sort of reappear commonly. So, Richard, you can go first. All right. So, from Doctor Who Worldwide, we have the Aztecs, Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, the Demons, Robots of Death, Enlightenment, Revelation of the Daleks, Curse of Fenric, Dalek, The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, uh, The Angels Take Manhattan, and Heaven Sent. And from Michael Lewis uh, at My Fan Pleasure, uh, we've got uh, the Daleks, uh, the animated power of the Daleks, uh, the Demons, the Pirate Planet, the Five Doctors, Attack of the Cybermen, and Battlefield. I don't think from this list it goes on and does uh, the modern series, but that's fair series. enough. No. Well, you don't need to really, do no, you? No. <laughs> All right, so from Steve Hur, we have the Tenth Planet, the Web of Fear, uh, Death to the Daleks, Pyramids of Mars, that's, I must admit that gets a nod from me, Earthshock, the Two Doctors, Curse of Fenric, the Unquiet Dead, The Family of Blood and Human Nature, except I think they might be the other way around, um, The Crimson Horror, and The Zygon Invasion Inversion. Um, I will just say on that one, I'm not entirely sure that you would introduce, uh, use the two doctors to introduce someone. <laughs> Cannibalism, <laughs> stabbing deaths. No, uh, I, I will put a shout out for Pyramids, because when I first saw Doctor Who, was, it was when they started showing season 13, and it was Pyramids of Mars that yeah. really turned me into a fan. I was yeah. just like, oh, wow, when I saw that, so... Yeah, no, that, that, that whole era is just, uh, it just sucks you in, doesn't it, really? There's, there's the lot of, it's the imagery, I think, the, you know, the mummies and, and Sutek and, uh, and, and all that that's going on. 
Uh, J.R. Southall says, uh, The Romans, war games, uh, the claws of Axos, pyramids of Mars, the visitation, uh, the mark of the Rani, battlefield. Uh, for Eccleston, it's the end of the world, gridlock for tenant, uh, the girl who waited uh, for Matt Smith, a mummy on the Orient Express, and then he appends it by saying, but not in that order. But again, we're not looking at um, uh, best, uh, we're looking at the ones that you would use to introduce people. Now, some bloke called Dave Kitchen uh, also sent us a tweet. Never heard of him. No, I don't know who that is. Uh, he would use the Aztecs, mm. Tomb of the Cybermen, Terror of the Autons, Seeds of Doom, yes, <laughs> The Visitation, Vengeance on Varos, Survival, uh, The Telly Movie. Well, you yeah. Know. <laughs> oh, you could use Night of the Doctor. Yeah, you could. You could. You could have Night of the Doctor now. Uh, Dalek, uh, Human Nature and the Family of Blood, uh, Time of Angels, Flesh and Stone, and Listen. That's interesting. I mean, the visitations come up a couple of times, as has Tomb, which I suppose Tomb's not surprising because it was the only extant, decent quality Troughton that you could, you know, mm. get. Dylan Green at a Lego Bricker, An Unearthly Child, uh, Tomb of the Cybermen again, Terror of the Autons, Robots of uh, Death, The Visitation again for Davison, mm. which is that's the third or fourth time now. Attack of the Cybermen, uh, Remembrance of the Daleks, Dalek, Midnight, uh, Cold War for Matt Smith, and then Zygon Invasion, Inversion. Um, yep. Interesting. And then we have Mike Pohl, uh, who has Unearthly Child Episode 1, uh, which actually I must admit to be the one I pick. I don't know I bother with parts 2 to 4, but exactly. I, I actually think, I don't think Unearthly Child, just the episode by itself, I think that would be in probably the place to start for Hartnell, I would yes. have thought. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth, uh, The Web of Fear, Carnival of Monsters, Genesis of the Daleks, uh, Caves of Androzani, Revelation of the Daleks. The Curse of Fenric, uh, the Telly Movie, and not Night of the Doctor, uh, <laughs> Father's Day, Blink, uh, The Doctor's Wife, and Mummy on the Iron Express. Okay, and Zach Sully at Zach Sully again, an unearthly child part one, and that also gets you out of the sort of uh, the naming wars that sort of consumed fans <laughs> in the nineties. Uh, the War Games, The Demons, all of season thirteen, <laughs> uh, all of season twenty, uh, Revelation of the Daleks. Uh, seasons 25 and 26 that's a lot of stories to introduce someone with <laughs> a rose and then human nature and clearly nothing else after that well, did we know Doctor Who ended when no tenant <laughs> left <laughs> uh, Dan talks Doctor Who I set it up with for Hartnell I would pro- I'd do Ep 1 of an Unearthly Child mm-hmm. followed by the Daleks uh, Tomb for Troughton Spearhead in high def <laughs> for, for Pertwee and probably City of Death for Tom Baker and then he rounds it out by saying Androzani for Davison, Vengeance on Varus for Colin Baker, Remembrance of the Daleks for uh, Sylvester McCoy, and then Rose, Unicorn and the Wasp, which That's is interesting. Yeah. It's not typical of, of Tenant necessarily, I suppose. Uh, the Eleventh Hour, uh, and Before the Flood for Mr. Capaldi. Now, nobody mentioned the horror of Fang Rock Rock. I, 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 I'm speechless. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. People... If you're going to butter me up, people should know what I'm <laughs> Well, that would be one of my choices as well. Well, in terms of an introduction to the series for that era of, the, of Tom Baker, that sort of, that really works. Well, I mean, we, we do refer to it as, as template Doctor Who. Mm. And, and you're right, it is everything, I, I think, in that era that works. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a base under siege. It, it's a quite interesting cast. It's an interesting scenario. It's, it's historical, which I think is Doctor Who does, or pseudo-historical, which I think Doctor Who does quite well. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, even the monster's not as bad as people say it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and you can see certain patterns. I mean, an unearthly child makes a lot of sense. If you're going to introduce mm. someone, 
It's not necessarily typical of, of Hartnell necessarily, but 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 let's face it, it's a setup episode. Yeah, it, it's excellent. Um, and for for Tom Baker, I mean, there's a lot of stuff from 12, seasons 12, 13, and 14. I mean, Robots of Death uh, a couple of times. Seeds of Doom is an out and out classic. What else have we got here? Genesis of the Dark. Oh, Genesis only makes it once. Yeah. Uh, I suppose it's not necessarily typical of the era. And Androzani. Again, Ooh, not necessarily not typical. typical of Davison, I wouldn't have thought. No. no. Some interesting choices there for the new series. I mean, the Crimson Horror um, for Matt Smith is an interesting choice because that, that it's, it's probably the, the approach in it anyway is atypical mm. to, uh, to, to the Matt Smith era. I, I would, have, would have suggested that Time of the Angels or anything with the Angels would have um, cropped up more often uh, in the new series. But anyway... That's interesting. So thank you everyone who, who took the time to contribute to that. We'll try and uh, put out some more questions on a sort of semi-regular basis now that Mark's in Wigan. So I'd like to thank Richard for hosting me today and uh, taking the time to do all the research. Richard, you have a clear love for the topic um, and looking at your collection, you've got a, you've, you've put a lot of time and love and money into it. So thank you very much for taking the time to do all that and sharing your appreciation and love with me and with the people who are listening. So I hope you enjoyed the experience. Yeah, assuming they're still listening, yes. <laughs> no, look, it's, it's been a lot of fun, actually. This this, this is yeah, this is one of my particular areas of interest with, with the, the stuff away from the, the televised series. So uh, it's been actually quite good to get some of these games out again. Excellent. So thank you very much for once again for hosting. Right. Thank you for having me on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. With uh, Mark being away, uh, you'll be hearing my voice more often and uh, some guest hosts, I suppose. So uh, until uh, we meet again, thank you very much for listening. I've been Rob. I've been Richard. And we'll speak again soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon. Um, who knows? Doesn't well, you're matter. here, so you can take credit. I'll take credit. He's, as I said, bearing his backside in Wigan as we speak. He <laughs> tweeted out uh, a question. Will degrade myself for Doctor Who, Prince. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, start again. Sorry. Fight the War of the Daleks with this fantastic new game from Dennis Fisher.